Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Trace, before we get this episode started, pop quiz. What's the difference between Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson? Well, one of them's in The Haunting, Joe, and one of them is not. <laughs> <laughs> and which one are you going to name drop throughout this entire uh, episode? <laughs> yes, everyone. We don't normally have to drop corrections like this before the episode uh, very often. But in this case, we do because I somehow made it two hours of a recording mm-hmm. constantly referring to Owen Wilson as Luke Wilson. And I just want to say no one corrected me. <laughs> I definitely thought it, but I thought you had only said it once, so I didn't <laughs> feel the need to correct you. But also, in your defense, the character's name in both films is Luke. So I think you were thinking a Wilson brother in a haunting movie, the character's name is Luke. Oh, I 100% was. Everyone, Owen Wilson, Shanghai Noon, Shanghai Nights, Anaconda, The Haunting, Luke Wilson, mm-hmm. Legally Blonde. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. His career stopped dead. His right career just stopped point. there. So yes, um, uh, no need to reach out to us to let me know that uh, I am referring to Luke Wilson when I should be referring to Owen Wilson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am well aware and I am ashamed of myself. So um, in that case, my job here is done. So uh, let's start the episode. Let's go. You might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the... I'm bored. Wait! And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking Theodora in Velvet and Eleanor in Tweed. We're talking We'll Have Fun, Like Sisters... And we're talking the ricketiest spiral staircase of the 1960s. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking in the dark, in the night, in the dark, in the night, in the dark, in the night, in the dark, in the night. <laughs> Look, there's a lot of repetition in this movie. It's important. <laughs> it's so funny because my quote was actually going to be the sister's quote because it's like uh, s- speaks in lesbian like sisters. But oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had my in the night, in the dark as a backup. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was pleasantly surprised at how not coded this queer ass movie is. Correct. And so yeah, when we are discussing 1963's Robert Weiss classic, The Haunting. And so hopefully you did not watch the 1999 remake. And maybe you did watch Mike Flanagan's 2018 Netflix uh, TV show. But we Mm -hmm. are yes, we are discussing the OG, the classic, the black and white film, The Haunting. Yeah, this was fun. I've seen this once before, but I was happy to revisit. I'm the same way. Uh, This was a film school watch. I had to watch it in my horror film class in college, and I had only seen the remake before. And it's kind of an interesting thing, because for me, um, the remake came out when I was 10, and so I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies yet, and so I kept seeing commercials for it. And I was like, oh my god, please be PG-13, please be PG-13, please be (laughs) PG-13. And it was. I had worse luck with Sleepy Hollow that same year, which was rated R. And so I saw the remake like three times in theaters with my dad. 
okay. But I'd never seen the original, and I finally saw it. And I, I admit, I was not a huge fan of this movie when I saw it in college, but my opinion has raised considerably since then. Hmm. Okay, well, before we get into it, maybe we should bring in a third person who will give us some additional insight. Yes, all right, everyone. She is a self-described trans femme she-freak and actress, having appeared in last year's horror anthology Trash Arts Killers Volume 3, as well as the upcoming films Carnal Redemption and The Moon is a Hologram. Please welcome Robin Adams. Hello, everybody. Wow, it's, it's great. I'm here. Um, yeah, hello. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to be completely honest. I have no idea how you found me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Twitter, as always. Twitter. Here I am. Here I am talking about what I personally believe to be the greatest haunted house movie ever in, in the dark, in the night. <laughs> Interesting. So did you grow up with this film? Like, what is your connection with The Haunting? It's an important one to me because basically my girlfriend of eight years, when she when she was at college and i was about to go to college uh this is uk college not us college i'm, I'm british mm-hmm. i know uh, but uh, she was doing a whole run of uh british horror films for her study and the first one which came up in kind of her research was the haunting which nice. neither of us had seen before and it was slightly shortly before i realized i was a woman mm-hmm it may have been part of that realization because yeah i was watching it and thinking wow um th- this is something this is new <laughs> and yeah but mostly it's just i've seen a lot of haunted house movies since a lot mm-hmm. and nothing's quite come close i mean some films have come close but nothing's quite beaten out how perfectly it encapsulates the idea of a haunted house and explores that and also it's it's queer it's queer as fuck very very queer. very queer well I mean, i'll tell you right now because I, I had to rent this on amazon because i actually don't own a copy of this in physical media and if you just type in the haunting there's like a hundred movies that pop <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> and they're all good i promise Ooh, oh, that is not true, Robin. <laughs> Every you know single it. one. Watch <laughs> them. Watch them all. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. But you have seen the remake of this film before, right? I, I have not seen the remake because it costs £14 at minimum uh, in the UK. I was going to watch it in preparation for this podcast and the universe just seemed to be telling me not to watch it (laughs) Uh, it's it's just tried to prevent me from seeing it you know we'll get it out of the way now so joe have you seen this remake oh yeah no i saw it in theaters that year are you a fan of it or do you you find anything to like about because this is a pretty like heavily panned film yeah i don't I think it's good, but I admire the production design a lot. You know, I do think it has a lot of callbacks to this original film in the kind of ornateness of it. And I actually don't mind Catherine Zeta-Jones, but it's disappointing if you're going in looking for queer Theodora because she is... She's more interested in Owen Wilson's character, which is kind of frustrating because it's the straightness that we get in every other horror film. And here, 
we're actively hoping that she's going to be at least bisexual. And the movie seems to want to bury that. Uh, I have a memory of her being bisexual. But as soon as you said, yeah, she's more interested in Luke Wilson. I was like, oh, yeah, that is what they do with her, which is really funny. And because, you know, this original film is very much about what's implied, right? It's a lot of suggestion. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of explicitness, except really for that queer aspect. Whereas the remake is the opposite. Everything is explicit in that movie. It's so like in your face, not subtle, except for Theodore's queerness. <laughs> yeah, which Robin, I'm assuming you're going to agree with me when I say this, but I would say that the queerness, particularly in this original film, is absolutely instrumental to the storytelling. Absolutely. It, it's a weird film because it's not camp, but it's undeniably queer, which is a mm -hmm. strange and rare occurrence in horror. And one which actually really works here, but the really uh, interesting part here, particularly in regards to Theo, is, mm -hmm. as you've said, just how explicitly queer she is. And it really does bring up something, because the fact is, the word lesbian is never said. Yeah. No. It's never actually said throughout the film. But she's prominently shown to have so many attributes which are basically... It's it's a difficult thing when we talk about the haunting in terms of queer coding and queer rap because mm -hmm. the haunting is not a queer coded film. She is queer. Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I, I agree with you. However, the language and I mean I, I know we're like not in the plot part of it yet, but the language that is spoken between Eleanor and Theo when they're having that fight on the balcony is she mentions as oh like things are unnatural. It might go mm -hmm. against nature, you say. And Theo's like, well, what do you mean by that? Well. I think you know very well but I, what I mean. And I think for your yeah. average viewer, they might not pick up on that. But as queer viewers, we're like, oh, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> ding, ding I ding, know ding. what that means. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing is, there was originally in the film script, and they did film the scene, but it was cut. There was a scene, which is taken directly from the source novel, uh, The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, there is a moment where Theo is shown to be in her apartment and uh, her female partner explicitly mm -hmm. shown here has left her and written i hate you on the mirror in lipstick in lipstick uh, yes I in lipstick it. i know exactly <laughs> but this scene was cut because in 1963 homosexuality was still criminalized in the uk so the yep. scene was just removed outright uh, and it really does beg the question about films which are queer coded because Lots of people think that Theo is one of the first explicit examples of a queer mm -hmm. character in horror, but there's a, there's a certain thing where you look back at something like Dracula's Daughter or oh something which yes. is that much older, and there's a lot of talk about queer coding, but we're talking about characters where, sure, it's never explicitly said that they're queer, but it's key to their stories, and they clearly mm -hmm. show attraction to people of the same gender. And yeah. it's just, at what point is it coding, and at what point is it actual representation? And it, I think it's a really interesting and complex kind of thing to discuss about older horror films. Mm -hmm. Well, but it's interesting, though, because you know, you'll find homophobes, specifically those in the bloody disgusting comments board, who were like, <laughs> y'all are reaching, they're not queer. Even uh, Probably even for something like this, I can guarantee you there would at least be one comment that's like, come on, y'all. Because Her it's name. an explicitly state. Her name is Theodora. It's just Theodora. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> although, although I would argue there is a there is a repressed lesbian reading of Eleanor to be had. Oh, 100%. Yes. No, I, yeah. I'm going to have to bring this up because have either of you read The Haunting of Hill House? I have not. I haven't, no. Uh, well, get prepared for this bombshell. Yes. Because in Shirley Jackson's original source novel, which I read in preparation for this, I read it and was surprised to find it was even gayer than the film. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And to the point that kind of the entire final act of the film is not in the book. Oh, really? It's not adapted from the book. Most of the book is fairly accurately depicted on screen, but... I'm pretty certain they were thinking, no, we can't do this. We are not allowed to do this. <laughs> because I know Shirley Jackson, like, she constantly denied any queer content in her books, even though it, right. obvi- it which is weird, because she kept putting it in her books. <laughs> <laughs> Me thinks she doth protest too much. <laughs> but there is a definite thread of Nell becoming really dependent upon Theo, and there's mm-hmm. a bit where they're walking through the woods together, and their line is something along the lines of, there was the unspoken word, and they didn't know who was going to say, I love you first. Oh... And the the events of the climax come into play because Nell basically says, I want to go home with you to Theo mm-hmm. when the, all this is done. And Theo turns her down. Um, she yeah. means as sisters, Robin, clearly. Don't oh, you understand that? Oh, yes, that? As, sis- as cousins. <laughs> as cousins is the exact phrase in the book. Right. Which admittedly is not much better. <laughs> Thanks, Shirley. Uh, No, I mean, I I think you raise a really interesting point, Robin, because Trace and I have covered a number of older Hollywood and not Hollywood films that have depicted very explicit queerness. And yet, because people don't say the word out loud, whether because of the language or because it was criminalized or so on, you know, we had the Hays Code as well. So. Everything is playing into the fact that films couldn't get away with certain things, but like in some of them, the coding is so heavy that it barely is subtext. It really truly becomes text. Well, yeah. and that's the thing. I saw so many readings uh, like uh, of Theodore's. Oh, this is a unique example because she's not a predatory lesbian. She's not flirting with uh, with mm. Nell. And I was like, uh, oh, I don't fully agree with that. Uh, There's yeah. a couple instances where she's definitely predatory. One hundred percent, but like <laughs> in a sexy way. I, I love how her, <laughs> so it makes it okay. Her entire method of charming <laughs> Nell is just to be frankly really shitty to her and i think that's amazing and hilarious and accurate (laughs) i'm allowed to say that (laughs) well i i think i think honestly and maybe this is too harsh for her i think she's kind of a bully to Nell, which (laughs) she is that's not too hard well it's 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 a good inversion of your typical queer character right because we as queers are used to being bullied so in this movie from this horror movie from 1963 the queer person's the bully and i love that i love her she's so awful she's she's (laughs) she's an absolute role model i feel like she doesn't have the capacity she doesn't know how to negotiate this relationship with Nell because i think she sees something there but then Nell is so hot and cold with her because oh. Nell really does not know who the fuck she is in this movie right like no. this is a character in search of an identity because she's been so repressed by her family and i love that Theo is like okay well i like you and i'm making overtures towards you but then when Nell moves towards Dr. Markway Theo gets 
jealous. And then her jealousy comes out as like bitchy, mean spirited, like really oh wow you're going under the skin with these yes. comments but yeah but then you have that scene where the, where markway is like she's just trying to get a rise out of you to stop you from being scared which i right. also understand mm-hmm. and then she keeps going and, and yeah. she keeps going. Simply, this is just how she communicates with people and i love it though i, I think Dio is such a fascinating character well i think she's much more fascinating i mean look Truthfully, I I have a lot of issues with Nell. I understand why Nell is the way she is, but good mm-hmm. lord, do I wish that Theo was the protagonist of this story? <laughs> yeah, fair. But, okay, 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 so sorry. We, we, we've done a lot of analyzing already, but this movie's production. Um, thank you, Wikipedia. You did a lot of the work for me this time. But oh my god, there's so much to talk about here. So, okay. How this movie came to be. So Robert Weiss, he was in post-production on West Side Story when he read a review in Time magazine of Shirley Jackson's 1959 novel, The Haunting of Hill House. And he read the book. He thought it was scary. So he passed it to his screenwriter friend, Nelson Gidding, with whom he had worked on the film I Want to Live from 1958. And I thought this was really interesting, too. Gidding is a uh, not even a self-proclaimed, but just a proclaimed specializer in film adaptations of novels. So, oh, wow. Yeah, he would go on to actually write the screenplay for 1971's The Andromeda Strain. Oh, nice. Okay. But yeah, so he did a full story treatment for Weiss before proceeding to work on the adaptation. And as he crafted the screenplay, he came to believe, hey, this is, he came to believe that the novel was not a ghost story at all, but rather a compilation of the insane thoughts of the lean character, Eleanor. And he theorized that she was having a nervous breakdown, um, envisaging a scenario in which Hill House is the hospital where she is held, Markway is her psychiatrist, the cold, banging, and violence are the results of shock treatment, blah, 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 blah. Right. They took it to Shirley Jackson, and she was like, no, it's <laughs> No, it is also a haunting. <laughs> there are definitely ghosts here. Mm-hmm. Probably. Well, so are, the, are the ghosts even more explicit in the novel, Robin? Uh, the nature of the ghosts is really interesting. It's still left fairly ambiguous. In fact, mm-hmm. some elements are left so much more ambiguous, but wow. the, there are full-body ghost apparitions, there are people seeing entire displays of past scenes. But most interestingly, there's a repeated motif in the film with a ghost that bangs on the walls and door. Right. Mm-hmm. On the last night that Nell is in Hill House in the book, uh, she runs around and bangs on all of the doors and laughs in a crazed state. Mm-hmm. And it's heavily implied, uh, and for record, if you've seen the 2018 Haunting of Hill House series, mm-hmm. but this is hints of Nell's death. Yeah, sorry, spoilers, she dies. Yeah. Right. <laughs> From the start, she's been hearing these premonitions of her own death, oh, uh, as if she's always ooh, been I love there. That. Well, I just think it's rare for an author to be like, no, 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 no. Like, if, if, if their work is by nature ambiguous and open to interpretation, I just think it's so rare and interesting for her to be like, no, 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 no. There's ghosts. It, it, this is real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a ghost and the ghost happened. so writing the screenplay took about six months and during this period getting worked alone although he had passed some of his work to weiss to show him that he was actually doing his job um (laughs) but but they didn't collaborate very much in the screenplay and the screenplay made other changes to the story they they cut down the number of characters um the backstory of the house was significantly shortened which i was surprised to find out because the opening narration of this film is like five minutes long right 
most of the supernatural events depicted in the novel were kept off screen, and the greater part of the action was set inside the house to heighten the audience's feeling of claustrophobia. And they emphasized more Eleanor's role as an outcast. Um, Theodora was given a sharper, slightly more cruel sense of humor to make her more of a foil for Eleanor. hmm. Slightly. Slightly. She's still kind of like that in the book. She's still kind of like that in the book, though. It's largely meant to be believed in the book that it's Eleanor misinterpreting what she's saying. Mm. Oh, I see. Which is interesting. There's a whole big thing about wanting to be accepted and wanting to have a home to go to uh, in both versions, but it's definitely... There is a lot of it which is Eleanor kind of hearing what people say and instantly thinking in her head, everybody hates me, everybody hates me so much and they want me to leave. Right. Well, and that's how you can tell this is a book adaptation, because the voiceover in this film, which I actually don't it's mind. It's okay. I think it's fine. It's just like, she's such a frustrating character. I shit you not, it is almost word for word okay. from the book. I, I can see it. that, yeah, 100%. And I mean, like, honestly, truthfully, I do think the voiceover does in this film something that Julie Harris's acting just simply can't do. Yeah. So I appreciate it. It just it does become a little overbearing at a certain point, but I digress. Although sadly the film leaves out my favorite line from the book, I think, which mm-hmm. uh is in a scene uh shortly after the kind of dinner scene where Theo says some truly, truly quite awful things to get a rise but potentially to get a rise out of Elna. Right. Uh it's never explicitly said, but then things go ahead semi as normal, though Theo apologizes. And as Theo is saying something completely normal, Nell's internal monologue says the line, I want to beat her with a rock. I would like to see her die. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that would make her too unlikable for viewers. Oh, yeah. oh hmm. it's you see, to me, there's a there's a part where I was reading and thinking, how much of this is a character and how much of this is Shirley Jackson writing mm. out her internal struggles? Mm. Right. Shirley Jack, she's very much possibly a self-insert character for Shirley Jackson, which is not a bad thing at all, but it's it's interesting to see kind of, she clearly had so many struggles, obviously she had terrible anxiety during life, and it's interesting to see kind of almost Shirley Jackson's internal monologue on the page. Mm-hmm. She's working through some shit. She's definitely working through but some shit. But that's even more interesting, though, because Julie Harris was suffering from some, a major depressive episode while she was filming this movie, and she, she was injecting her own depression into her portrayal of Nell. So that's actually wow. really interesting that, wow. that Nell is also kind of a, 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 an insert for Jackson herself. <laughs> These sad women making a classic fucking horror film. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a thing about you know films about queer women tending to be kind of sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, if Shirley Jackson, you wouldn't have admitted it. Uh, you probably <laughs> wouldn't have even admitted it was a horror story. Uh, yeah, yeah. But here we are, and you've contributed to this. It's a wonderful film. You've contributed to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so to get the project off the ground, Weiss approached United Artists, and after much delay, they turned him down. And so his agent said, since Weiss owed Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, of course MGM, a film under an old contract, Weiss should take the project there. MGM agreed, but they would only give him a million dollars, and he knew that he could not do the film at their Culver City Studios, which is uh, today Sony Picture Studios. So right. He took it to England as the E.D. Levy, which at the time was a tax on box office receipts in the UK, uh, giving tax breaks and financing to films made there as a way of subsidizing and promoting the British film industry. Um, He thought that that would give him more of the budget that he needed. 
Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty common. Canadian, right? Yeah. <laughs> Cons, you have to go to Britain. <laughs> uh, so Wise had been asked to come to the UK uh, for a Royal Command performance of West Side Story. And so during that trip, he made the financing pitch to MGM Borehamwood. Uh, they offered him a budget of $1.05 million. And with the ED levy support, this allowed him to go forward with production in the UK. Nice. Which is really interesting because I I know the original source novel was set in the US, but the idea of a haunted house and haunted houses, uh, there's a big history of it in the UK, probably because mm-hmm. in terms of a lot of settlements, they have been around for a while. People will have lived and died in houses half the time. But that's it's interesting because to find that the house that would serve as the exterior for Hill House, Weiss approached a society that kept track of British haunted houses and they gave him a list of places. So, oh my God, visit all of those places. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Go to them all. So, well, he sent production designer Elliot Scott, he sent him around the country to look at every single house. And oh, dream job. Right? So yeah, he eventually settled on Eddington Park, which is now the Eddington Park Hotel, and that was used for the exterior shots of Hill House. Yes, you did say hotel, and I dream of staying there sometime. Mm -hmm. It's it's just, yeah. But if... (laughs) If so, if it doesn't have really unfriendly room service, you basically throw their body against the wall at night. But I'm, I'm not, I'm not going. I'm not going. I think the way you call room service is by they leave a cane in your room and you just bang it on the wall until someone comes by. <laughs> So for, right, for casting, so Julie Harris was chosen for the role of Eleanor. Um, Weiss had seen her on stage and felt she was right for the part of the psychologically fragile Eleanor. She agreed to do the part because, well, she thought the role was complex. And True. she also had a long-standing interest in parapsychology. So she was like, sure, I'll do this movie about parapsychology. <laughs> <laughs> I am also interested in this topic and also having a breakdown. Exactly. Um, English actress Claire Bloom was cast as Theo. However, the decision to cast both her and and Richard Johnson as Dr. Markway um, was partially because of the E.D. Levy requirements that the cast be partly British. Mm-hmm. That's how you got to do it. Yeah, but but Johnson was also under contract to MGM. And, oh, fun little factoid. So Weiss first noticed Johnson in a Royal Shakespeare Company production of The Devils, a.k.a. the source oh, no of way. Ken Russell's 1971 film that everyone goes apeshit over every time it lands really? on Shakespeare. I'm really, really sorry that you've mentioned The Devils, because <laughs> The Devils is the reason... Uh, well, actually, it's The Devils slash Benedetta, uh, which mm-hmm. earned me the brief nickname of Nungirl on Twitter.com. But- <laughs> because I just wouldn't shut the fuck up about the devils because you like them horny nuns, do you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Vanessa Redgrave, absolute icon, just writhing around on the floor. I had no idea it was based on a play. I had no idea. Oh, it it was based on a book before then uh, mm. called The Devils of Ludon, uh, based on a real thing which happened, which is <laughs> really wild to think about. The particularly interesting connection between the devils and the haunting, which is here, is they. And also a relevant connection to me is, I'm going to say it outright, if if you know me, you'll know I am not necessarily the most mentally stable woman all the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's basically first chapter of Kayla Janice's House of Psychotic Women. There's mm. my name. There's my name, probably. <laughs> oh, no. But I find these relatable in my own struggles with mental health because they're both right. portrayals of kind of women... Just kind of going through it. Mm-hmm. But 
perhaps that's partially what draws me to The Haunting and to The Devils is kind of, I find them cathartic in their portrayals of female mental health, particularly from times <laughs> when it wasn't necessarily as well understood. Right. right. And these films have a dedicated interest in exploring this. Like, they're not easy movies to watch because these oh, yeah. women are going fucking through it. Yeah. And yet, for me, not identifying as a woman, but finding empathy in watching characters unravel, like, there is something cathartic about watching them negotiate it, but almost from that safe distance, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think in this case, it's also even harder, though, because, I mean, if you've seen the film, you know, things do not go well for Nell. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe. It depends. There, I think there's an optimistic reading for this movie. Well, yeah, she's stuck at the house forever, just like she always wanted. It reads yeah. a bit di differently, you know, now with the whole housing crisis thing, because, you know, Nell's got a house <laughs> She's got now. a joint house now. <laughs> She doesn't have to go back to sharing a fucking couch with her sister, who is well, a huge bitch. Her sister is a cunt. I was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah, her sister's <laughs> fucking, like, the worst. The worst. All due respect, I, I'd crash her car, I wouldn't. Oh, no, I love, literally, the last thing her sister says to her is like, oh, how do I even know you're going to bring my car back in one piece or something? And I was mm -hmm. like, Oops, spoiler alert. Oopsie. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> um, fun fact, Virginia Madsen plays the sister in the remake. <laughs> oh, really? Does she now? Yes. Anyway, so okay, so moving on. Uh, Russ Tamblin, father of Amber, uh, he was under contract to MGM, and he didn't actually want to play this role because he thought he was a jerk. But the studio threatened suspending him, and so he had to take <laughs> it. <laughs> Russ, come on, man, step up, take the job. Uh, he said since then that this is actually one of his favorite roles, and he judged the role too quickly. But because Luke is a fun character, I'm almost sad that Luke doesn't really get to do much in the last act. Uh, well, they changed that in the remake because Luke Wilson gets decapitated by the big lion thing in the in the fireplace. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I, I was completely unaware of the fact that it's like, oh, it, there's the frequent kind of thing of this dream life finale where she references her stone lions and everything. Yeah, so, yeah. In the remake, we're gonna have a lion fucking decapitate Luke Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Take his head clean off. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it, it, it's very PG-13 because it's almost in silhouette. There's no blood. And then they're like, oh, well, OK, moving on with the uh, plot. Well, that just <laughs> yeah. happened. We don't have a headless body to pick up or clean up after. <laughs> so okay, so we know where the exterior came from. Interior, okay, this is where, again, for me, the, the strength of this film comes in its production design and its technical prowess. Um, right. Oh, yeah. So it starts here. Interior sets were constructed and shot at the MGM British Studios in Borehamwood, Hertfordshire. Um, the interior sets were designed by Elliot's. Scott, designed to be brightly lit with no dark corners or recesses and decorated in a Rococo style. And by the way, I love Rococo style. I would kill to have a Rococo style mansion. It's so gaudy. It's amazing. I was going to say, they don't really make Rococo style places anymore. Do no, they? I have to get rich. So so let's work on that, Joe. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Patreon.com slash horror <laughs> Help me build my Rococo apartment. <laughs> I love the idea of a Rococo apartment. Horrifying. <laughs> so all rooms had ceilings to create a claustrophobic effect, and this actually was unusual because normally mm -hmm. film sets forgo the ceilings to add in lighting and filming. Right. Weiss said that his contract with MGM specified that the picture could only be shot in black and white, uh, which Weiss preferred for the genre of film. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, he attempted to make Eddington Park look more sinister through various lighting effects and camera settings, but this failed. So... 
He then hit on the idea of using infrared film for establishing shots of the house because he thought that the infrared film brought out the quote-unquote striations of the stone and made Mm. the mansion look more, quote-unquote, more of a monster of a house. So he wanted to make this film a tribute to Val Luton because Val Luton was the producer and writer under whom Weiss had his first directing gig – the supernatural Aww. horror sequel, Curse of the Cat People! And I was so almost good. going to bring that up. I, I was keeping thinking, how can I bring up Curse of the Cat People? Because <laughs> Robert Wise is kind of interesting in that, you know, uh, weirdly, he's got a bit of a history with queer horror. Mm-hmm. Because under Val Luton, he made pretty much back-to-back uh, Curse of the Cat People, which is debatably horror, but right. it's really, really interesting that, yeah, that features a prominent queer-coded character from 1942's Cat People. Doesn't mm-hmm. actually feature any cat people. But then we, <laughs> then we also have the Body Snatcher immediately afterwards, mm-hmm. which, uh, from what I've been told, uh, I was planning on watching it for research, but whoop-de-doo. Yeah, in that film, there's apparently some brilliant homoeroticism from Boris Karloff, uh, oh. with him saying... Things like, we're so close as if we were under the same skin to people, and oh, I love that mm. shit. <laughs> That's fascinating, because we've covered several Val Luton films, but we've covered the obvious ones, like Cat People and The Seventh Victim, so mm. it's okay. good to know that there's some other options potentially out there. Yeah, make that note, Joe. But well, Luton's theory of horror was that people were more afraid of the unknown th- than things that they could see. And so right. Weiss held on to that for The Haunting, uh, making the decision very early on that they were going to show as little of the supernatural as possible. And I think this is a really fascinating thing because we're seeing that now mm-hmm. in films like Skinamarink and The Outwaters, where we're not seeing a lot of the horror But people are either going to find that very scary, like some people find The Haunting, or very frustrating and even boring. I think there's a very interesting thing, particularly in regards to Skinamarink, which, regardless of my thoughts on the film, and when you get to things like Skinamarink and also the backrooms as an idea, as a concept that's been going around, there's been Mm -hmm. a bit of a revival of something which is really in turn with The Haunting, which is this new obsession with hostile architecture. Oh, yes. With spaces that are wrong and intentionally want to hurt you. Because it's not just the ghosts. That house is fucking evil. Mm -hmm. Well, but but that's, you know, it's a thing where, like, I... I don't particularly find this movie scary. However, if I was in the place of these people in the film, I would be fucking scared by the things going on in this house. And oh, even yeah. if I, I can't see it, but it's it's that divide of being having the safety of a television screen or a movie theater screen where it's like, well, I need to see something to be scared by it, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I I would be out of there midway through the first night yeah. if this kind of <laughs> shit was happening. Like, absolutely not. No, thank you. I'd I'd leave, I'd crash the car, whoops, I'm here forever. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, then this is where we get into the visuals of the film. So, Weiss and cinematographer Davis Bolton also wanted to make distances in the film, like hallways, look longer and darker than the audience would anticipate. So, Mm -hmm. Weiss approached the Panavision company and wanted an anamorphic wide-angle lens, but the only one they had was a 40-millimeter lens. And he learned they were working on a 30-millimeter lens, but it contained distortions and therefore wasn't ready. It was like a very heavy prototype. He kept pressing, and eventually they were like, fine, take the fucking thing. But... <laughs> Shut the fuck up and take this prototype. <laughs> but you have to sign a memorandum in which you acknowledge that this is an imperfect product. And so he did. Huh. 
<laughs> Wild. So they planned shots that kept the camera moving, utilized low angle shots, and incorporated unusual pans and tracking shots, which would mm-hmm. lead to some of the most active camera movements in Weiss's film career. And to accentuate the feeling that the house was alive, exterior shots were filmed so that the windows appeared to be eyes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've been going through the Amityville uh, franchise and it's very it feels indebted in that capacity where you're just like, oh, how do we make a house nefarious? Give it eyes. (laughs) Give the house eyes. Just Mm -hmm. make it a lamb. Make it a lamb. Exactly. I think The Haunting should have had like a wild series of sequels like the Amityville Horror did. I I feel like we should get at least 10 uh, Hill House movies per year. I think that would be mm-hmm. wonderful, but like about random shit, like a scrap of wallpaper from that 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 bit of wallpaper <laughs> with the face, right? It's yes, just, if yes. It, okay. If it had Amityville-esque sequels, it would just be that bit of wallpaper with a face, but like mm-hmm. went to the bin in someone's house, and now it's haunted. Or that fucking cherub door knocker. <laughs> cherub door knocker. Yes. I will say though, the, the the face in the wallpaper did did creep me out a little bit. I was like, oh, oh my god, spooky. why does it look like that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kept looking at it like this is like a Rorschach. I feel like mm-hmm. I am seeing things I am not meant to be seeing right now. Well, okay, but but here's the thing though. So moving that away from the look of the film, we're going into the effects and the editing. So. Again, we're talking about language of film here. Many of the editing choices in the film were also used to heighten the audience's discomfort. So we have a number of rapid cuts in the film that throw off the viewer's sense of spatial orientation. Mm-hmm. Joe, plenty of your favorite Dutch angles used, I love to, it. <laughs> used to imply that reality is off kilter. But likewise, and again, this is something that I don't think people, like again, casual viewers will get offhand, but cutting on action or match cutting, meaning uh, where the editor cuts from one shot to another view that matches the first shot's action, Mm-hmm. This film often violates that rule, showing the characters exiting a room to the right, for example, only to show them entering the next room from the left. And so this makes it so the viewer cannot get a clear sense of which rooms and hallways are connected to one another. So we are lost, just like the characters are. Oh, I love that. I did try and follow the layout of Hill House whilst watching oh, God, it, no. uh, whilst rewatching it, and I was thinking, no, <laughs> it's impossible. It is not possible. This house. This house is fucked. Who the hell built this? It doesn't make any this? sense. It's House of Leaves from 1963. Uh, I mean, again, <laughs> to, not to return to the book too many times, because Go it's ahead. fresh in my memory, but there's a notable detail, uh, which is really, really interesting, in that, well, of course, the Hill House in The Haunting of Hill House is obviously inspired somewhat by the Winchester Mansion, right? which, mm. if anybody doesn't know that, it's this wild house with extensive hallways just built forever for no apparent reason or with any rhyme or reason or sense allegedly built under the influence of ghosts mm-hmm. by sarah winchester who was apparently according to legend at least driven by the guilt of deaths caused by winchester rifles yeah mm. and then turned into that terrible movie with helen mirren fucking wretched film with helen mirren in it oh. yeah uh, in which the ghosts <laughs> literally put blueprints in her head uh, which is fucking wild <laughs> but uh here there is a wild detail in the book in that apparently every single angle of hill house was built out of spite to make it the most fucked up house ever in hopes that after uh hugh crane yes he's called hugh crane and i left my ass off uh was building this house so that when he died he could turn it into a show home like the winchester house and piss people off Nice. <laughs> I'm not joking. 
Jesus. <laughs> well, so, okay. Last bit of like like visual horror here. So the film also lacks temporal clues. So there are a few shots in which the audience can see out a window to determine whether it's day or night. And in other instances, windows are visible but do little to establish temporality. For instance, mm-hmm. when Eleanor is rescued by Dr. Markway on the staircase in the climax, some of the windows nearby show strong sunlight streaming in, while others show darkness outside. Right. <laughs> The UK is just like that, actually. That's not even a decision. This is, this is actually what things are like here. It's just a little bit dark, a little bit gloomy, but also sunny and bright. <laughs> Hilarious. Accurate. Um, I have a premiere date in the US of August 21st, 1963, but that must have been like a private screening because the film opened in New York and Los Angeles on September 18th, 1963. And apparently some audience members were frightened. Film critic Dora Jane Hamblin related how four of her female friends went to see it, and it proved so frightening to them that afterwards, the group spent 15 minutes looking for the contents of their purses, which had spilled up onto the floor over the course of the movie, as the women (laughs) jumped out of their seats from fear. Despite this stuff, um, it was only an average box office success. And I don't want to go too much into the reception of this film. However, I love this quote. So this is from famed film critic Pauline Kael. She called the film moderately elegant and literate and expensive. Uh, but she <sighs> Moderately? Moderately. What? Oh, it's just a bit. <laughs> oh, Pauline. Just a little. She... The more I read about Pauline Kael, because we used to read about her in film school, I'm just kind of like, I don't know if I like this woman very much. Honestly, she and Ebert, <laughs> yes. I'm I'm in polar opposites to them 90% of the time. <laughs> well, okay, so here's the thing. So you know how we watch a movie and we're like, oh, it's not really scary now, but maybe it was it was probably scary for people back then. It's like the, the train, you know, where it's like, oh, they've ever sure. seen something like this before. So Kale goes on in her review. It wasn't a great movie, but I certainly wouldn't have thought that it could offend anyone. Yet, part of the audience at The Haunting wasn't merely bored, it was hostile, as if the movie, by assuming interest they didn't have, made them feel resentful or inferior. I've never felt this in an audience toward crude, bad movies, but the few scattered people at The Haunting were restless and talkative. The couple sitting near me arguing, the man threatening to leave, the woman assuring him that something would happen soon. Are you you sure Pauline has been to a cinema before? In their terms, they were cheated. Nothing happened. And of course, they missed what was happening all along because perhaps because of nervous impatience or a primitive notion that the real things are physical. So again, we're going into this idea of like, if you can't see it, it's not real and therefore it's not scary. Right. Yeah, I, I think I think Pauline just went to a cinema like <laughs> for the first time. It was just like, what's happening here? There are other people. Well, she was probably sent online screeners all the time. <laughs> oh my oh, god. god. <laughs> <laughs> love the 1963 online screener. That's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was sent over on a computer that was the size of a house. Sent over on the Hell 9000 himself. <laughs> Uh, but of course, reception of the film has grown in its release. Martin Scorsese thinks it's his uh, the scariest film ever made. Um, Steven Spielberg also called it the scariest film ever made. Uh, but not everyone agrees. Neil LeBute thinks that the film is frankly overrated. Oh, Neil LeBute can go <laughs> fuck himself, can't he? I love I mean, Neil he's Labute, a bit of a prick, too. Yeah, he's kind of an asshole. <laughs> I, I went to a screening of House of Darkness last year. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, and he sadly couldn't turn up. Good. Like, I know not to enforce, like, some terrible stereotypes in the news, but I would have thrown my shoe at him. <laughs> oh, so you're not a fan of House of Darkness? I, I was not a fan of House of Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't mind that one, but your mileage may vary. Yeah. M- mileage may definitely vary. <laughs> 
<laughs> but nevertheless, on Rotten Tomatoes, The Haunting has an 87% with an average score of 8 out of 10. Uh, Robert Weiss did get a Best Director nomination at the Golden Globes, but he lost to Alaya Kazan for America America. Letterboxd users have given this a 7.6 out of 10. And before I pass it off to you, Joe, I just want to say, in 1990, media mogul Ted Turner announced he would begin colorizing black and white motion pictures to make oh, them no. more pleasing to audiences <laughs> watching his cable network. Absolutely. Not. Better not have let his fucking crayons now. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, because I feel like, again, with the way this... I, I, I have to believe most of this, the interiors, were so colorful. It's like those black and white images of like, the Adams Family house, where it's like, it's like bright pink. But the announcement generated extensive controversy. Uh, touring Turner's colorization facilities as a member of the Directors Guild, Robert Weiss learned that Turner was colorizing the haunting, and he put a stop to that shit real quick, uh, yeah. pointing to his contract, which stated that the picture could only be in black and white. I cannot imagine this film in anything other than black and white because it is exquisite. Like, it is so beautifully black and white. It it actually reminded me of The Innocence, which would have come mm -hmm. out two years earlier in terms of, like, technically innovative camera work and just the way that you frame and shoot the house. Like, the black and white monochrome is so vital to the reception of this film. The Innocence is wonderful too. Yes. <laughs> it was inevitably going to get mentioned, but that's, that's often thought of in kind of the same breath as The Haunting. It, mm -hmm. For me, it is absolutely up there. I think it's an incredible, wonderful film. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's wild how just suddenly for a period of a few years uh, in the UK, people decided, you know what, we're going to make the, some of the best haunted house films of all time, then just kind of stop. Right. Yeah. yeah, we'll do it for a short period of time, all bangers, and then we'll just end. Well, I was going to say, Joe, you can see it in color. You just go watch Jan de Bond's remake. Or actually, <laughs> I didn't even realize this. So, I mean, Stephen King's Rose Red was mm -hmm. basically his his version of The Haunting because he was trying to get a remake uh... of this off the ground and it fell through. And so Rose Red, I, I could almost guarantee if you go back and watch it because, yeah, it's about a series of paranormal investigators they're going in mm -hmm. to like check out a haunted house the main woman starts going cuckoo bananas by the end and she dies so you can see a lot of the haunting in that film yeah it's it's kind of the haunting but it's also kind of to bring this back the winchester house <laughs> right <laughs> I mean, these are joking. classic ideas, right? Like, right. we recycle them in different ways every couple of years and that's perfectly fine yeah but okay, so yes, that, that, that is The Haunting, Joe. So now we can actually talk about what happens in this movie. Okay. All right, so we start with a sort of murky, underlit nighttime image of Hill House, just to establish the mood. And we're getting voiceover narration from Dr. Markway, although we have not formally seen him. He will be played by Richard Johnson. And this building is 90 years old. We learn immediately it was made bad. It is an evil building. And it killed creator Hugh Crane, who was played by Howard Lang. Uh, it killed his first wife who is played by Pamela Buckley, in a car accident. So she didn't even get to see this fucking <laughs> house. She's already dead. A, a car accident, Joe? <laughs> yeah. You think old British people driving fucking A horse carriage car? accident. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, horse engine, right? So that's how the we... horse power. <laughs> that's what, yeah. But a horse, I, I, I hate to bring this up, but uh, apparently a horse isn't actually one horsepower. Oh, really? What? Yeah, I've forgotten what exactly it was, but I learned recently that the speed of a horse isn't actually one horsepower. Is it more than one or less than one? 
it's more than one. It's okay. a lot more than one. I'm wondering, like, what the fuck were horses like back then when they came up with it? So it should it should be called horses power, is what horses you're saying. Horses power. Yeah. Oh my god. Several hundred horses power. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Hugh Crane is left widowed because he did have a child named Abigail, played by Janet Mansell, when she is six years old. So he eventually remarries, and then we learn that the second Mrs. Crane, who is played by Frida Knorr, falls down the stairs. And this is like, to me, the kind of big introduction to what Weiss is doing with the camera, because watching this woman fall down the stairs mm-hmm. is like the most epic scene. <laughs> It's quite freaky. Well, you say fall. It's never explicitly said if it, if she fell or if she was pushed. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and you know, we get this is when we start seeing a lot of his fun camera work because he attached a dolly to the staircase. So anytime we have like a rapid like falling down the stairs or up the stairs, it's just the, the camera on the dolly just taking a ride down the down the railing. There are a fair <laughs> number of face shots throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> because it's cool as fuck. It looks great, right? Yeah. It's yeah. way more exciting than just watching someone take a tumble. It's going to very much hard. It's so. supposed to do, whoops, I fell. <laughs> okay, so we also learn that Crane later drowns in Europe, which means that Abigail inherits the house. We do a bunch of quick dissolves until she is an older lady who is now played by Amy Dalby. And as she's uh, laying in bed... We learn that she was knocking, waiting for her companion, who is played by Rosemary Dorkin, but uh, this companion was too busy fucking a farmhand, and poor Abigail just died by her lonesome. It's Friday the 13th. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It's... <laughs> well, it, it's also anticipating Eleanor's big reveal, right? Oh, for that sure. The reason why she feels so guilty, because she was the companion in this situation with her Except mother. she wasn't fucking a farmhand. <laughs> No, because Eleanor doesn't fuck. Yeah, no, <laughs> she not at all. Does, does decidedly not fuck. <laughs> but, like, are there any reads of Eleanor being a reincarnation of Abigail? I've never seen one, but I could see it. There's a slight allusion to these... They walk into the greenhouse and there's a marble statue. Right. And it's never explicitly said what the marble statue is of. There mm-hmm. are just multiple interpretations of it, but what we can best gather is it's of the family. It's of the Crane right. family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't quite make sense, which is an interesting detail, because there are people <laughs> there at different ages who it probably shouldn't be, but there's one of the companion who looks uncannily like Nell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the implications are clear. I think... Oh God, again, because I, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I feel like the remake makes it more explicit where it's like Eleanor is a relative of Hugh Crane's. I don't think she's a reincarnation of his daughter, but she's like his great granddaughter or something. Yeah, because there's the whole thing where he would take in orphans, but he would torture and kill the orphans. And maybe she was one of the orphans that got it. I I don't really know, but they do that in the remake. (laughs) Back in day, back in 1963, we we didn't have to kidnap orphans and stuff to to kill them. We just abused our own kids like we did, which Hugh Crane did apparently a lot. Here we go. It says she finds Crane's hidden office and learns that he extensively used child labor in his cotton mills. He tortured and killed several orphans, then burned their bodies in the fireplace. And so it's all their children's spirits that are trapped in the house. And yes, he had a second wife named Carolyn from whom Nell is descended. So she's essentially the, the, the descendant of the woman that hanged herself. 
I mean, to right. be fair, this is pretty average British kind of lord behavior <laughs> for the for the era. <laughs> yeah. I'll confess, though, the one of the more interesting things about this film in terms of its approach to supernatural is that the house is just bad. We don't yeah. try to explain it. We don't have a tragic backstory. Like, sure, we're talking about all the bad things the house has done, but it's not like, oh, this is built on an Indian burial ground. It's blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's house just, just sucks. nope, this house sucks. And there's not a specter, right? And that's, that's the mistake the remake makes where it's, oh, no, Hugh Crane is the evil of this house. In right. this one, it's just the house. Just the house. <laughs> what was it? The house was born bad. But the thing about the house being bad is that there's a, there's a lot of films out there, a lot of haunted house films, which are like, oh, welcome to this house. This, this fucking house hates you. This house mm-hmm. personally is a grudge against you. The scariest part about Hill House, in, in a way which I don't think has been shown in anything other than perhaps Stephen King's The Shining, is no, this house doesn't hate you. It loves you so much. It wants you to be there right. forever. It wants, it wants you, you to, to stay. die in it. That's I didn't even think about The Shining comparisons, but honestly, it's so apt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. this is a house that loves you and wants you to literally become part of the furniture. It wants you to like yeah. be fucking skeleton like covering dust in the attic <laughs> but like this house is kind of a lesbian too right because it seems to <laughs> slay on the go after women like it really wants to keep women on the premises that's true it doesn't really do anything to the men because like, the men don't even hear the banging until they're in the presence of the women mm-hmm. maybe the house is just misogynistic had you considered that <laughs> Well, no, but didn't you just say it loves everyone? <laughs> it, uh, that is a good point, you know. Gotta say, this is not the allyship I wanted. <laughs> I love you too, but also back off. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the companion ultimately ends up inheriting Hill House, but she ends up hanging herself. So it moves on to Mrs. Sanderson, who is played by Faye Compton, and she is the current owner. She rents it out to make a little bit of profit. And this is where we're formally introduced to Dr. Markway on screen, and he would like to rent the house to conduct a supernatural study. And Mrs. Sanderson agrees, but her servant encourages her to send her nephew Luke along the way because Luke intends to make this Basically, Luke is lazy, and he plans to inherit the house and make money off of it. I love Mrs. Sanderson, though. I wish she was in. I wish she actually went to the house because she seems like a tough old biddy. Mm-hmm. That being said, her entire family has, you know, died horribly. <laughs> this is true. I can understand why she has not gone to the house because she's probably like, uh, fuck no. Instantly, as soon as she enters that house, trips over, <laughs> fucking yeah, <dies>. gone. <laughs> She, like, impales her eye on, like, a, a stair railing. <laughs> just, just the door folds down and crushes her. <laughs> Here's the thing. She doesn't even need to get to the house. I've, as we've established, this thing is strong enough that it'll just kill you before you even get past the gate. It'll just yeah. total your fucking car. <laughs> Okay, so Markway, uh, he's got a list of candidates, and we see this chalkboard group of people, and at the very bottom is one Eleanor Lance, who is played by Julie Harris, and our introduction to her is that her life 
sucks. It, uh, th- honestly, I, I don't know. So uh, my main issue with Harris, I think Harris d- does a good performance, but I have a mm-hmm. question with the direction because I almost kind of hate that she is so, oh, not hysterical, but like she is. I mean, she is hysterical. But yes. like from the get go. And so she is the loudest part of this movie. And but there's not really a gradual increase in the, the destabilization of her mental state. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of there from the get go. And I wish there was more of a progression that we could see. I mean, I actually kind of like that. I kind of like the idea that Nell is already broken and the house is a place where she can just be herself and be a Mm -hmm. new person and nobody knows that she's broken, but she's broken. She's broken as fuck and trying to hide it. And Mm -hmm. that's what lets the house get to her is her denial. Mm -hmm. I don't know why the hell Markway invited her in the first place, to be honest. (laughs) <laughs> that that is the thing like when you watch this through a contemporary lens we learn that nell and theodora neither one of them did any research about the house before accepting this invitation and they don't know dr markway like he knows them because he had access to all of these supernatural esp lists from around the country but like they just accepted this invitation to go and stay with a weird man for a weekend It actually gave me uh, House on Haunted Hill vibes, which the original is around this period. And obviously the remake would be in the late 90s, similar to the Haunting remake as well. But this idea that you would just accept an invitation from someone you've never met and be like, yep, I'm just going to drive into the countryside to a scary mansion. So would y'all have liked it more if Markway had never invited Nell and that she got a call from someone pretending to be Markway, but it was revealed to actually be the ghost of the house? (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) But it was the the house on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) On the landline. Hello, this is Hill House calling. I'd like you to I'd like to invite you to a special showing this week. I'd like to invite you to your death. You actually get to hear the phone conversation and then later like Liam Neeson's like, I never called you, and she's like, oh, it was the children. <laughs> the house was my dad. I'm I'm in agreement with Robin. I actually kind of like that Nell is already a broken person. Like her sister Dora, who is played by Verena Greenlaw, and her brother-in-law Bud, they are ogres, right? Like <laughs> they they're acting under the auspices that they're protecting her, but they literally call her emotional and nervous. Like they're afraid to let her drive the car she pays for. <laughs> yeah, well, she's she a woman. pays for that car. <laughs> admittedly admittedly she does crash the car and fucking die but, but admittedly it's only semi-related it was one time was- <laughs> one time yeah <sighs> so she ends up basically half stealing it and this is where the movie becomes psycho for a hot was- moment uh, she's yes! just talking to herself we're getting this rear projected <laughs> sequences and she's like i'm just gonna go they're not gonna catch me it'll be fine i'll find out who i really am and i was like the only difference is that in psycho she's imagining what they're saying about her rather than like giving us insight into her thoughts but yes i thought the exact same thing i was like this is psycho <laughs> Although I do quite like the idea of the fact that, in particularly when it comes to a queer reading of this, Nell's escape being that she's been told constantly beforehand that there is a certain person she has to be, as opposed to who she actually mm-hmm. is. And this yes. escape is just, I can do anything now, I don't know where I'm going, but at least I'm free. Yeah. And I feel yes. like that is really interesting, particularly in the queer reading of Nell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
I think that's another reason why it's important that she's already a little bit fragile because it does confirm to us why she's so desperate to get out of here because if she stays longer in this house, she will only lose herself more. So even though she has no idea what's expected of her, Mm -hmm. this is adventure, right? It's really the first opportunity she gets to live and maybe be true to herself. Yeah, I mean, she's been stuck in a home taking care of her sickly mother for, do they even specify? 11 years. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And it was abject hell from what we're told. It sounds not horrible. Not good. Yeah. Not good. So she ends up arriving at the grounds and she has an immediate confrontation with Dudley, the groundskeeper, who is played by Valentine Dial. And this to me seemed very city folk versus country folk, yes. where she just does not want to listen to him. And he's like, get out of here big city lady let me into this house that i do not own right now please <laughs> i have a letter that says i'm invited <laughs> <laughs> he's like oh yeah oh yeah what's it to you huh <laughs> then he's just like okay fine just come in <laughs> you're, just, you're annoying he just can't commit to the bit for too long and decide she tries to run him over <laughs> oh my gosh it truly just feels like We've probably picked out so many bodies from this place (laughs) every time we let somebody in. Oh, you really want to come in here? Fine. I'll just clean out your body in the morning. (laughs) That's nothing compared to Mrs. Dudley, who I think is the greatest shit poster ever. I adore her. (laughs) The way that she's just like, but hey, we're not going to come back here. No one comes into town. Everyone's in town. No one comes here at night. Did I tell you, by the way, that we don't come in here at night? Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. No one's going to help you if you need help. Uh, Did I mention, by the way, that no one comes here at night? (laughs) Her love of just fucking with people who turn up is just wonderful. It's it's great. She's just very says, Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're totally going to fucking die and we can't do anything. Lol. Yeah, so she is played by Rosalie Crutchley. This is a fantastic supporting performance in like two scenes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she has these terse rehearsed phrases that she will get out even if you are blatantly not listening to her i mean we're not there yet but like yeah well she's when, when theo and nell are talking and they're just like trying to like get acquainted and she's like i only i serve dinner at six and then i leave and then i don't come back until light at nine for breakfast um hello <laughs> i'm talking please hello please listen to me <laughs> the best part is that I, I believe Theo repeats some of her words. <laughs> she does, yeah. And no, it's Nell. It's, it's Nell. It's Nell, like, parrots it back it. to her. I, you see this fucking grin from Mrs. Dudley that is just like, <laughs> yeah, 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 you heard me. <laughs> she's such a funny character yeah so so she goes through this whole routine with nell and then nell discovers that her room shares a bathroom with theo who of course is played by the one and only claire bloom and yeah they're trying to get acquainted and miss dudley tries to do it all again they ignore her that's fine it also becomes very quickly evident that theo is telepathic and we make a note that nell has a tendency to wear her heart on her sleeve so she's very easy to read particularly for theo even if theo didn't have powers and also again it's notable that there's a definite change in mood when theo turns up Mm -hmm. because when nell is there she's lonely she she says that She's terrified of the house around her. She describes her as a beast that has swallowed her up whole. Yeah. And then Theo turns up, and Theo is not taking any shit. 
<laughs> she turns no. up. What's particularly interesting is how Nell latches onto Theo pretty yeah. much mm-hmm. instantly. Well, but yes. that, but that, but that's why though. So truthfully, up until the very end, I didn't gather that Nell was having feelings for Doctor Markway. It, it took it took Theo telling us that for me right. to be like, oh, I guess because it, it just seems like she has more chemistry with Theo. She has lots mm-hmm. of chemistry with Theo. She she just like Theo, I love you so much. And Theo's like, I hate you so much. I'm gonna tell you the worst thing you've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> but also because I secretly love you. Indeed. <laughs> like the, the house wants you. I think. I think. I hear it calling. Um. I think. I think it's saying, "Nell, we want you." Yeah. That. That's it. <laughs> so they end up exploring, and they kind of get lost. But they do come to the realization that the house is alive, and it does want Nell. And this is when Markway finds them. He escorts them into the purple parlor, which is not a euphemism for a penis or an eggplant. <laughs> And yeah, we're still doing kind of exposition about what people can expect. So we're talking about how the house doesn't have any square corners and the doors will open and shut by themselves as a result. Well, because they're also hung off center. So it's not only there's, yeah. no, there's no like square corners in the house. All the doors are also just hung off center. So it's like, yeah, they're just going to keep closing by themselves. So, you know, in case you think it's haunted, it might not be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every single angle in the house is about... 89 degrees uh, just <laughs> to be vaguely unsettling in the book it's mentioned that people uh when they step out of hill house they get seasick oh, oh wow, wow. Uh, because everything's at a wrong angle and you just adjust to it yeah well and then of course it gets reinforced by the camera work whenever people have to like run or look for something we get to see the dutch angle so we feel like we're almost as seasick as they are it's a, it's a perfect communication of the fact that this is a fucked up house mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. this house is built wrong <laughs> it's built bad it's, built, it's not bad. just built different it is built bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, do you mean no badly? like we couldn't get a right angle is what we're saying <laughs> that's what we mean by built bad I think it's bad. No, it's bad. Badly? No, bad. It's just <laughs> No, both. Bad. Both. Both <laughs> yeah, to the both. That's it's actually true. Worse. It's built badly and it's built bad. <laughs> okay, so we have dinner. Uh, we've got some spirits on the way. We find out that Nell does not drink because, of course, this bitch is so repressed. And then we're introduced to Luke Sanderson, the nephew that we mentioned earlier, played by Russ Hamblin. So we we sit down to dinner. We get to know each other a little bit. The girls did no research at all. And Theo toasts Nell as her new companion. And I put in my notes here, this is the first instance of mildly lecherous. Like, the yeah. way that Theo is looking mildly. at her, you're kind of like... I've got plans for you tonight. Well, because she, she, you know, it's not only to new companions, and then I, I put my notes, Theo in lesbian, excellent to my new companion. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's just like this. It's, it's, it's wonderful, but not to get ahead of myself, but she's she's constantly, like, not so subtly dropping hints. There is mm-hmm. a, a wonderful moment in the bedroom later when Nell asks, are you married? And she just gives her this look and says, no. Mm-hmm. But, and but, the but, thing but is, when she's talking about her apartment, she's like, we did this. We did this. Yeah. We did are this. you married? No. <laughs> <laughs> the most wonderful part is that is not a performance quirk. In the book, it specifically mentions the look that she gives her. 
Oh, really? I cannot interpret this any other way. <laughs> and yet the book is more implied queerness according to some oh, people yeah. but that's that's just because it's it's really really explicit in the book uh but the only reason it's considered to be implied because people ask oh shirley jackson did you write a lesbian book and she's like no no don't even suggest the thing right i'm like shirley shirley you keep doing this there's, there's a character <laughs> there's a character in her book hangs a man who is also clearly a lesbian. She's like, no, no, no gay people. Also no horror. Oh, God. And I'm just like, Shirley, Shirley. We're just afraid of labels, I guess. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And not to speculate too much, but many people wondered in life if Shirley Jackson applied that to herself as well. Sure, yeah. Which is a sad thing, but... I mean, it's tough to be a queer person in a certain day and age, right? So yeah. I, I think this movie, like, these are the kinds of moments where we as queer people... It might as well be an alarm bell for us. But you're right, Trace. I do think that there's probably a bunch of folks who watch this and they're like, oh, she's just saying companion. It's not like she's saying conquest or my new fuck. I mean, just besties. Exactly. Between the the, the the example that Robin just gave, you couldn't take the whole, like, I'm not married as I'm a woman living in sin with a man. Sure. If if you really wanted to be lazy about it, that's what you could think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god, they were roommates. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. Quintessential queer uh, red light beacon. We're just roommates. <laughs> Sisters even. <laughs> yes. Okay, so over dinner we learned that Markway identified these people because they've all been touched by the supernatural, so Theo has ESP, and Nell contended with a poltergeist when she was 10, which is, I think, such a weird character moment because it doesn't really play into the plot, and we never get to see it, so well, it's just you say a quirky that. backstory. You say that, but I believe the way the scene is played is quite interesting because... Of the way that Nell kind of snaps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, shouting that, no, there was no ghost there, nothing happened. Mother said it was just the locals, it was just the neighbours. Well, right. so, but, 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 I, think, I think what this is supposed to do is clue us into the fact that Nell is an unreliable, not narrator, but an unreliable character. Because So whatever she's experiencing, we can't always trust. Because she, it, But at the same time, yeah, what, what her mom said, it's because... We wouldn't mix in. Oh, we wouldn't mix with them. The, the the neighbors were always against us because we wouldn't mix with them, which made me think it was it a race thing. I mean, for a U.S. context, that would definitely be a race thing. Yeah, I, but I, 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 just, I, I thought that was not weird. entirely sure what the deal is there, but it it does clue us in more as to the fact that Nell and her mother, even though Nell obviously has relatives, their relationship was one of quite a lot of isolation with just the two of them. Right, mm. and maybe even gaslighting. Yeah, there's there's a certain level of that, I believe, was implied, and kind of, I mean, in another wonderful moment, it, it's shown that Nell's relationship with her mother, in hindsight, was not very good. Yeah. Right, like, do you two read this as abusive? I do partially read it as such, emotionally abusive i don't yeah. know if i would say it's physically abusive. i i was thinking emotion it was an emotionally abusive relationship i'm pretty certain yeah. uh okay. but there's a brilliant moment and it might just be fear being fucking savage as usual but mm-hmm. i think it's wonderful when theo says do you feel sorry when she died and right yeah and nell says no she was in a lot of pain she was struggling 
And Ren Fiu says, well, I won't say I was sorry either. Like, <laughs> <laughs> shame and saying, I'm not sorry too. Yeah, I love that. I, I have that in my notes too. That's such a great, again, Theo like, has so many great like lines in this movie. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. I mean, it's the 1963 equivalent of the bitchy supporting best friend. 100%. Right? <laughs> But but the fact that she can't be, like, explicitly vulgar almost makes it even better. Mm-hmm. It's wild. She she says some really, really cutting things all the way throughout. <laughs> Truly. Okay, so after dinner, Nell surprises everybody with a scream at the base of the stairs because she felt something, and... It's basically an opportunity to unpack Luke's relationship to the supernatural because he has none. So he's like, "Mm, nothing's happening. And Markway chastises him for having a closed mind. And I thought it was interesting that Luke asks him not to convert him. Because again, if we're looking at this as a queer reading, the supernatural is almost code for queerness, right? Because Eleanor and Mm -hmm. Theo are the two people who are in touch with the supernatural and they're both queer coded yeah yeah oh i agree absolutely and of course there's dr markway's line which is i know that the supernatural is not something that's supposed to happen but it does Mm -hmm. do we read luke as any kind of queer because there's no one here for him to get with because markway's married and then eleanor is indisposed and theo's a lesbian I feel like he's just the barometer to help us understand Theo's sexuality because mm. he's he's kind of the quintessential man where he assumes that if there's women present, he's going to be able to get with them. Like the other big scene with Theo is where he touches her yeah. and she like throws his hand off. from him. Mm-hmm. I believe she explicitly says, get away from me. Yeah, yeah, she she's might like, as well don't touch me don't or something. She yeah. might as well be saying like, "Don't fucking touch me." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Theo does not swear, but you you're pretty certain she's going to at any second. <laughs> it was in her face and her body language. The fucking yeah. was there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we go to bed, and this is where Theo briefly tries to get into Nell's room. Mm-hmm. And if you're feeling the least bit nervous, just come into my room. <laughs> yes. Right. And they. <laughs> The way they interact with each other, particularly in regards to touch, is yeah. yeah I'm just like, no, movie, no, that you can't pretend anymore. Well, it's interesting because apparently they, so they did have that scene that you mentioned off the top, Robin, where we got to see Theo's girlfriend. Like we saw a woman leave, and there was that message, and they cut it in part because they were worried about the censors, who also explicitly said, we don't want the women to be seen touching. And I was like, but we see them touch a bunch of a lot. We literally see them in bed together. In bed together. (laughs) to each other for dear life. But apparently people don't understand how Weiss managed to sneak that footage in without drawing the censor's wrath. So it it's kind of amazing that we even get as much female touching in this movie as we do. Which yeah, is good because it's incredible. It's powerful, palpable stuff. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's the most important part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a thing where it's like, you know, again, I buy into this chemistry between Eleanor and Theo, but yeah. Eleanor is so off and on, hot and cold. Like, she'll be, like, so into Theo one moment and then be like, you're a raging cunt the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, classic, like, friends to, like, lovers to haters to lovers, lovers again. To so. enemies to lovers. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. <laughs> 
Okay, so that night, there is a loud thumping noise that wakes Eleanor, sends her into Theo's room, and this is, again, where we're hearing and seeing things that are not there. So we're just using the camera to track the motions of this thumping, and it's just like slow pans around the room. But this sound design is so effective. Like, it's so freaking loud that it's really easy to imagine why they're scared. Yeah, and I think it's also really important that we have both Eleanor and Theo hearing this, that it's not just Eleanor hearing this. So, mm-hmm. again, any doubts you would have about, well, is it is it uh, a haunting or not? This is like, no, 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 it's, it's, it's real. It's real. Yeah. I, I never doubt that it's real. And beyond this scene legitimately being one of the most terrifying ones to me personally, just because of how adamantly whatever is outside seems to want to get in. Mm-hmm. But it's also the note that when Eleanor wakes up, she thinks that the banging on the wall is her mother. Yes, yes! Oh, that's actually a great moment for Harris, too. I Because it, it takes her a good 15 seconds before she realizes, wait a minute, <laughs> that's not wait what this minute, is. That's not my mother. She's been dead for two months. Yes. But I love that because who hasn't had that experience where you wake up in a place that you're not familiar with? Like if you're on Indeed. vacation or you're visiting someone and it takes you that moment for your brain to process where you're at. And it's it's really uncomfortable or or almost frightening when you are kind of like, wait, I'm disoriented. Where the fuck am I right now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the women eventually open the door and they see Luke and Dr. Markway are outside, but they did not hear any of that knocking. Yeah, they they were didn't hear any of the crying. <laughs> well, and this is the most realistic because you know they just start they bust out into laughter, which I, I love the laughter. It's, it's yes. so humanly real. And then, and then Markway's like, "Well, the door looks fine. How nice! It didn't mar the woodwork." <laughs> I love that this is Nell taking the piss out of him, too. Like, we just went through something really traumatic. You heard nothing, but you're very deeply concerned about the the state of the walls. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) It's great. Although there is a wild detail in this scene, uh, which is kind of different to everything else we see in the film, which is that Dr. Markway and Luke were chasing a dog. Mm Mm-hmm. We never see this dog. We never see a dog. We see the statue, that's it. There is a dog as part of the marble statue, but it is the only solid visible apparition of a ghost throughout Mm -hmm. the entire story, and we don't fully know what the deal of it was, but yeah, there's a dog. It's the Hound of Baskervilles. (laughs) It is the Hound of Baskervilles. It's it's Zoltan Hound of Dracula. (laughs) It's whatever you needed to be to believe that the men were lured out of the house. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so now we get a very important scene between Eleanor and Markway over breakfast. And it's them sort of reintroducing themselves to one another. Just in case you thought that Nell was going to get out of this movie alive, she literally foreshadows her own death when she says she sleeps on her left side because it wears the heart out quicker. Fucking hell. I had to look that up, though, because literally, so like if I've, um, let's say, drank a lot at night, when I mm-hmm. sleep on my left side, it's harder for me to breathe. Right. And I think it's because heart disease runs in my family. So I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> like, I feel my heart. <laughs> I did think upon rewatch, listening to that line, I went, wait, shit, I sleep on my left side. Oh, God. No, I mean, like, it's something where I can feel a noticeable pressure where my heart is when I sleep on my left side. And I don't right. feel the same way on my right side. 
Mm-hmm. Your heart oh. is more on your left side than your right. Oh my god, is it? Yeah. No, I know, I know, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Okay, moving on. So Theo eventually ends up coming into the room and she admits that she's only afraid of what she really wants. Again, coded lesbianism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Women, yes. <laughs> Dat puss. <laughs> yes, just imagine Catherine Zeta Jones saying that line. <laughs> I mean, really, Hill House is just a big vagina. That's what it is. It's not a face, it's a big box. <laughs> it's a big, God. big, scary British vagina. <laughs> a British vagina. <laughs> wow, they're so ornate. <laughs> it's Rococo style. <laughs> oh my God, Rococo vagina. <laughs> So we we go out into the hallway and there is chalk writing that says, help Eleanor come home. And I think the punctuation or lack thereof is very important because it could be help Eleanor come home or it could be help Eleanor come home. Or is it help Eleanor come home? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Trace, you're cut off. <laughs> I'm not drinking. It's it's Friday afternoon. <laughs> but this is the one that's. I mean, like, do, do we think this is a haunting part? Do we think that someone's fucking with Nell for this? It's probably Mrs. Dudley. All we know. <laughs> she was like, I said here. breakfast at yeah. ten. <laughs> Brings the chalk. Nell, kill yourself. <laughs> Because th- this is, I mean, outside of, like, the door bulging that we get later in the film, this is really mm-hmm. the one where it's like, okay, well, what's... It's the hardest to explain. Yeah, it's the hardest to explain. And even behind, like, the motive, like, the house's motive behind writing this. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's trying to communicate with her gently, right? It tried to break down the door last night. She didn't let it in. So this is it saying, well, I'll try a different tactic. Maybe I'll just write her a little love letter. Well, and Eleanor gets immediately possessive because she's like, it's my name. It belongs to me. And what gets mm-hmm. even more fucked up is in oh, the no. book, it's already unsettling enough that it's in chalk, but in a moment not adapted to the film, the phrase appears again somewhere else oh. in the house, only this time written in blood. Oh. Enough oh. blood that it basically takes up an entire human body. Whoa. Wow. It's never fully explained. Huh. I wonder why that's not included. Well, may- maybe the blood was too graphic for this G-rated 1963 horror film. Um, of course, the remake does make that very explicit, since Nell is actually coming home, since she's a descendant of the family. <laughs> right. Although what's, wow. what's really interesting that you bring up that it's G-rated, which is always fascinating to me, is that, sure, not much actually happens, but in mm-hmm. the UK, it has a 12 rating, essentially equivalent to PG-13. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. Simply for the virtue of being so fucking intense at times. That's yeah. interesting because on Amazon Prime it says thirteen up, and I was like, "That's weird. This is G rated." But one of the reasons was for smoking. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh no! I I I had completely blanked the fact that people smoke in it. <laughs> Me too. Until you said it, I didn't even remember. I think when you see a black and white film or any kind of older film, you just assume people are going to be smoking in it. They right. don't even make a joke about spirits. <laughs> They're forbidden <laughs> from it. God. Also, I even think about it. This is not related at all, but I'm thinking, so Robert Weiss goes from West Side Story to this, to The Sound right. of Music. <laughs> and wow. eventually he went to Audrey Rose, which is... <laughs> mm-hmm. Is that like... 
a different version of Red Rose? Uh, no, it's it's basically 30 minutes of a really, really brilliant Anthony Hopkins stalker story, and then uh, an hour afterwards of, uh, well, here we fucking go. <laughs> oh, okay. okay, that that's immediately piqued my interest. That was his other uh, big supernatural horror movie, was hmm. Audrey Rose, recently released by Arrow Video, I think? Good to oh. big yeah, plot too. Um, Budget of four million dollars, box office take of two million dollars. <laughs> it's well, interesting. I guess Robert Weiss really found his strength in musicals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sound of music and West Side Story. No big thing. <laughs> no big thing. Not important films. Okay, so yes, uh Eleanor does panic and or gain a certain level of novel confidence over the fact that the house knows her name. And then Theo deliberately angers her in what Markway suggests is an effort to distract her from that fear. <laughs> and that scene is wonderful because it's just the most awful cutting shit ever. Because mm -hmm. in a previous scene, uh, there's the detail when it's introduced that Theo has psychic powers. Uh, she briefly brings up uh, a new dress that she has. Right. And later on in this scene, she says, oh, you're clearly trying to show off and be the center of attention. After all, isn't that why you put on that mm -hmm. dress? Oh, yeah. I can't believe you think I like attention. Theo, <laughs> Theo, that was your suggestion that she put on the dress. <laughs> she's gas. She's a gaslighter. Gaslight gatekeep girl boss. Absolute icon. <laughs> it's very weird how Theo will read people's minds, say the thing that she knows is going to upset them, and then also get a little bit hurt when they get mad at her. Yeah. You know, like, Theo, baby, you are courting drama. She uses her psychic powers largely not to find out exactly what people want, but rather the exact thing that will, like, piss off someone until they yes. just like, I'm not talking to you anymore. And this is her <laughs> primary method of communicating with people. <laughs> yeah, she is a bit mean. She's a bit of a dick. I love her. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Okay, so we go on a tour of the house. This is where we see the statue. I think Markway suggests that it is St. Thomas curing the lepers. But yeah, when we see it later, Theo describes it as a family portrait that they all have a proxy for. Yeah. And then this is also where we start to talk about the chemistry between Markway and Nell, and Theo resists Luke's touch. And Nell and Hugh Crane as well, <laughs> when she does her funny little dancey dance. Oh mm -hmm. my god. Uh, <laughs> that thing. We're not there yet. We're not, We're not there, there yet. yet. I will get, we will get to that. <laughs> so we get to the library and Nell cannot go in because it reminds her of the smell basically from when her mother died. And I think that that's really fascinating because we'll get a scene later when Luke opens the book and it has the same kind of meaning to it. Right. And it's interesting, you know, we joke that you could do spinoffs of this in Amityville style, but there are objects within this cursed house that seem to have a stronger supernatural element to them. And that, yeah. that book, I know the book comes in later, but... Mm -hmm. It's it's truly something to behold. <laughs> <laughs> it really is, yeah. <laughs> Hand illustrated by Hugh Crane with uh, Bible excerpts and some of his own little funny scrawlings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he read this to his children. <laughs> oh, weirdo. <laughs> the drawings are like a still from possession. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
And Trace actually gets that reference yes, now. Yes, we've seen it. I've seen it now. And I have, <laughs> believe it or not, not seen it. I've got DVD oh. copy behind me somewhere at the time of recording. It's definitely a gotta-be-in-the-mood-for-it movie. I, I I have a feeling that I will be in the mood for it at most times. There you go. Yeah, it's it's wacky. So this is also the moment where we are introduced to the staircase of doom. So Luke begins to go up it and it is immediately clear that it is unsafe. So he hops off in the name of self-preservation and just file that away for later. So this staircase, uh, this is an effect, of course, for the film, is designed by a metal worker at the Borham Wood Studios. Uh, the effect was created by tying portions of the steps and railing to a cable that ran inside the staircase's central support column. And so when the cable was slackened, elements of the stairway loosened up and moved freely. Conversely, when it was tightened, the staircase appeared solid and stable. And this effect disturbed the cast so much that Robert Weiss had to ascend the staircase while it was shaking in order to prove that it was safe. <laughs> I mean, it looks unsafe in the film. Like, they did a hell of a job. I would not stand mm-hmm. on that godforsaken staircase. Not at all. I feel like nowadays they would have the cast anchored to it, and then they would just remove it in green screen or something, because it, it just does not look safe. It, that's movie magic, you see? That's movie magic mm-hmm. of someone... I, I Me watching this and thinking, I don't think that was safe. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anybody died in the production, but I can't be certain. Yeah, this is not a poltergeist scenario. <laughs> God. Speaking of accidents, so Nell goes outside because she can't stand the smell. And this is where I wrote in my notes, it's like she gets psychically attacked on the veranda because she looks up at the house and then the camera swoops towards her mm-hmm. to the effect that she nearly falls off. The house just comes to fucking get her. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, It's just, I don't entirely know what happens there, but mm-hmm. but I'm just like, yeah, that's not good. All I know is that this house, this house has just said, okay, I'm grabbing you now. <laughs> well, if you think about what we've seen before, it tried to break in in the middle of the night, but the door was locked. It tried to write her a love letter in chalk on the wall, and that yeah. didn't really do anything. So maybe this is, okay, well, you're out in the open, bitch. I'm just going to kill you so that you can be mine. <laughs> it didn't do a very good job at it, you know, because all of these hundreds yeah. of years of being, you know, ghosts and being a supernaturally powered house, and you're just thinking, oh, I'll maybe kill you if I can be asked. <laughs> right. My speciality's cars. <laughs> Good luck with cars, not so much with heights, yeah. So Markway ends up saving her, and we, we've we not really talked about it, but there's a lot of conversation throughout the film about the nature of his experiment and how important it is for clarifying that the supernatural is real and how he doesn't want to undermine that process. Right. I think it's important to his character, but I'll confess it doesn't really grab me. Like, I don't think it's the most interesting part of the film. Yeah, the men are not the most interesting part of this film. (laughs) Well, yeah, there is that too. (laughs) Although I I do like that there is something interesting about Luke in that Luke's going to inherit this wretched house. Oh, yeah. And all Mm -hmm. the way throughout, he's talking about little details that he wants to do up. And by the end... His line is just, I think it should be burned to the ground and they should salt the earth. And I love that (laughs) little progression throughout of him just finding ways to kind of exploit even the littlest bit of good out of this house. And by the end, he's just like, no, 
get rid of it. No. Because yeah, when the door bulges, he's like, I'll give you the house for cheap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is fair, right? He can write off a lot of the things because they're not often happening to him. But the, door but the minute he starts to see that door bulge, and then when he sees what happens to Nell, it's like, oh, yeah, no, this house isn't good. I don't want it anymore. Man, we've been saying bulge so many times. I'm getting the vapors. <laughs> <laughs> Control yourself with spirits. <laughs> Okay, so uh, this is the point when we fully confirmed that the house wants Nell, so uh, Mark Way asks Theo to move in with Nell for the evening. Uh Wink, wink. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So we cut to them drinking and painting their nails like best Judy's do. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, because Nell finally drinks, and it's so nice to see her just loosen up a bit. Peer pressure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. She has no idea what the difference is between brandy and whiskey, so she's got a long way to go, but she's getting there. <laughs> we should also note that uh, Theo says, by the time I'm done with you, you'll be a different person. Wink, wink. Uh, um. <laughs> I mean, all the lesbian stuff is really just compacted into these brief scenes because, yeah, this is when we talk about how she did something with a clear live-in partner but that she's not married and she definitely does not want to elaborate on it and then eleanor talks about her small apartment with her very carefully picked out furniture and items and stuff and this will eventually be revealed to be a lie yeah, this apartment doesn't fucking exist <laughs> no i'll i'll admit the first time i watched this i thought she had a secret place that she was going to move into to get away from her sister and then when she says oh i don't have a place to go back to i live on the couch of my sister's apartment i was like oh that really is your house oh that sucks the amount i wish that she had <laughs> like she had her own like the secret little apartment the amount i wish that mm-hmm. i can't even state it <laughs> <laughs> wish she had her stone lions <laughs> She had her stone fucking lions. Yeah. I believe that she does have those, actually. <laughs> yeah, she better have those stone lions. If, it, <laughs> if they're not, I'll eat Luke Wilson's head. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, his decapitation actually is pretty good in that movie. It's an effective I, I, I will give yeah. it that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a highlight of an otherwise not great film. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the cold spot of the house, which is its heart, and that would be the nursery. I'll confess, the way that this is introduced and then how little it actually ends up coming into play, like, we we will get to Grace in a little bit, but I thought that we were going to have the climax, like the showdown yeah. here, and the nursery is just a creepy room. Well, the remake does fix that because the nursery is like a Hall of Mirrors carousel type thing, but right. I, I do, it looks really <laughs> nice pretty. Nice nursery, who built it? <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to say, so, so, hey, so Weiss had initially wanted the actors to simply play up the quality of being cold in this scene, um, mm-hmm. but he quickly recognized an additional visual effect was needed to more clearly emphasize the temperature drop. So to overcome the unique issue of having to uh, photograph nothing, essentially, right. he instructed the makeup department to apply a special makeup onto the the actors and this makeup contained a compound that was usually invisible to the naked eye but that appeared under certain filters so when it came time to film the actors walked onto the portion of the set that was supposed to represent the cold spot and mm-hmm. these filters were gradually drawn over the set's lights giving the visual impression that the characters had turned pale due to a huh. drop in temperature and it is the coolest looking thing mm-hmm. i swear <laughs> i i spent 
all too long a time wondering why the actor's breath fogged up in that specific spot, and I, I'm still struggling to <laughs> wrap my head around it. But but you're right, Joe. It, it, it's the it's the it's the heart of the house, like the source mm-hmm. of the house's evil. So by the rules of storytelling, <laughs> it would make sense for this to be like, oh yeah, we've got to like destroy the heart of the house in this nursery. But maybe mm-hmm. the fact is that we don't get that be, no. because we're not destroying the heart of the house. There's no reason to go back here. Like the the heart stays intact. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're telling a secret tragedy. This is not about these people overcoming the house and coming out victorious. This is about the house consuming the person it wants to consume. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is different in the 2018 film, of course, not film, yeah. TV series. Yeah, In the 2018 Mike Flanagan TV series, where the heart of the house is a very, very prominent detail. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. It feels like we maybe learned something as we went through the various adaptations. Like, how much queerness do we want to have in here for Theodora? How much queer coding do we want to have for Nell? And then, yeah, how do we want to use the house in a way that actually builds the story as opposed to just overwhelms viewers? How much do we want to fuck Nell up? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I love the planning adaptation, but it's also like, you know, we're t- what is that, a 10-episode series? So we're talking like 10 hours of this material. So he had to take a, a lot of liberties. And I actually think they 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 do really, really well, especially compared to the, <laughs> the 1999 film. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, I I saw a lot of articles comparing three different Theos, right? Because right. I do think that when people talk about this text, they do raise it up as an interesting example of queerness. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think you said it very early on, Robin, like, this is a bit of a hallmark text for queer representation and horror, particularly for oh, yeah. the time. It's like three years after the Hayes Code is out. Right. And this is a fairly prominent queer character who isn't punished. She's not super predatory. A lot of people say she's not at all. Again, we slightly disagree with that. But like, she also doesn't die. Yeah, that's true. I mean, she's also not the nicest person, but... Sure. Which, as queer people, I think we can appreciate. Yeah, (laughs) I I, I don't mind a queer... You try being a lesbian in 1963 Britain. Uh, you try being me a lesbian in Britain now. That's true. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> Way to make it timely. <laughs> uh, sorry, I was like this close to making a really tasteless joke about oh, no. but there's like it's just not even funny anymore. She's it's, just a fucking bitch. You've already explained it. Island. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Um, so yeah, Markway doesn't want them to go into that room, which is locked and has not been opened. And I do love that he says, let's keep the lid of the pressure cooker on for a little bit longer. I don't think Markway is a bad character in this. Like he's, I think Liam Neeson plays him as much more of a, of a villain. Like oh, he does actively manipulating the people. But like this scene in particular, I thought was like, wow, Markway, you don't care about these people you only really care about that experiment i kind of love him though he's a, he's just a little guy to be honest i think mm-hmm. he's just a little guy uh and, uh i think it's particularly funny even later on when his wife turns up and he's just like oh yes honey i'm doing my silly little experiment well but, 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 but the, the reason that liam neeson plays him more malicious is because he lures them there under false pretenses right. in the remake he tells them he's doing a sleep study not a haunting but that is what he's actually doing and whereas right. in this one he's like hey y'all we're gonna investigate this haunting <laughs> <laughs> although i still didn't tell you what you were doing when you came here it just so happened to be that i know you all had telepath and yes. abilities and stuff. Which I guess he learned from newspapers? 
He had access to research. He did. He, <laughs> he talks he about had it. Access to journals and stuff, and kind of lists of people who were contacted by different psychic societies. I'm pretty certain mm-hmm. that's the case. Uh, although it is noted, I believe it's also noted in the film uh, that half the people he tried to look for were dead. So. <laughs> Right, yeah. and the other half that he had on his shortlist, they were like, where are you going? No, fuck no, I'm not yeah. going there. They, they went to the library, they used the microfiche to look up Hill House, and mm-hmm. that's why they no. said, no, I'm not going to go there. Yeah. Yeah, the reason that Theo and Nella are here is probably because they didn't look it up beforehand. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, they, 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 they were just like, a house? Sure! <laughs> yeah. On a hill? <laughs> well, yes, as you said in the beginning, like a scene that was cut out was that Theo is in a breakup with her girlfriend, and so she has a reason to get away. Nell right. has a reason to get away, so there's no, they both have a desire to be here, right. regardless of the haunting factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Markway ends up ordering them, go to bed, we'll do more stuff in the morning, and this is where Nell gets really angry at Theo because uh, Theo brings up her mother. Oh, uh, I don't. Uh, why are you mad at me? I don't think you killed your mother. <laughs> <laughs> Which clearly means that Nell feels bad about... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the original A24 movie. She's really going through that grief. <laughs> right. Except not in like a 70,000 a month apartment. <laughs> right. So in the night, she hears a crying child. I'll confess, uh, I was never sure if it was crying or if it was like yelling or like cheering. I I don't think that this particular sound effect is as good as it maybe needs to be. Um, I now has got no idea what the hell's going on. I, I guess I kind of agree with you, Joe, but honestly, because the, that's not even the centerpiece of this film. It is the whole, like, Nell holding someone's hand that she thinks is Theo's. A little too tight. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. you're breaking my hand, Theo. And then she wakes up and she's all of a sudden on the couch. She didn't even know she moved to the couch. And yeah. I don't I don't know if it's the first instance of this particular scare being done, but I will tell you, Scooby-Doo, where are you? will use the I'm holding someone else's hand bit a lot. Right, all of a sudden. <laughs> oh, yeah. That being said, in The Haunting, that is the oh shit moment yes mm-hmm. <laughs> i just love that it's not like i'm not holding your hand it doesn't need to be verbally yes. explained she just realizes oh i'm so far away from you this couldn't possibly have been you yeah it's not a theo stop holding my hand so tight i'm not holding your hand i'm on the exactly. other side of the room yeah exactly the movie trusts us to get it but mm-hmm. whose hand was i holding cut Ooh. away <laughs> fucking hell yeah. yeah it's good it's good well, it's especially good because we've already seen something try to get into the bedroom on a previous night, whereas yeah. here the supposition is, oh, it was in there with you already. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Well, because I love that moment the first time when she's just like, why am I locking the door? What am I trying to keep out? She's like mm-hmm. talking herself down. And then it's like, well, <laughs> now you know. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> okay, so in the morning, uh, Markway and Eleanor have more debate and discussion so we talk about things like the preternatural the unknown the unnecessary burden of fear i did have a a weird logistical question he references the crying that she heard as well as the hand holding but we didn't actually hear her tell him that yeah i'm i'm assuming from that that it just cuts forward uh, I'd also yeah. like to note that mostly what they do in Hill House, uh, in terms of research of psychic phenomena, the, the tactic is mostly sit around, drink, and discuss psychic phenomena in the hopes yeah. that it'll just turn up. 
and then presumably journal about it because it's they're given out these checklist things to fill out in case they see something uh which is occasionally mentioned and for some mm-hmm. reason it's just never a really seen. funny detail to me because <laughs> yeah there's just in the corner theo checking off boxes <laughs> to say yep Yep, there was something yep. knocked on the door. Definitely I saw something. Not a hallucination. <laughs> I would love to see like how specific some of the items on that list were. <laughs> right. <laughs> so important in this scene, we get a bit more context about how her mother died and how long she was caring for her. And yes, why she feels guilty because she didn't go to her when she knocked. Similar to Mrs. Crane at the beginning of the film. And Mark away more or less. I mean, he's gentle-ish about it but he kind of tells her to stop playing the martyr and just like let it go butch up lady (laughs) but this is also the moment where she finally calls him john instead of dr markaway so if you were reading this through a conventional hetero text it's like he's helping her and she's falling in love with him (laughs) the way you sound so bored (laughs) i'm so bored with heterosexuals that that is not in the book (laughs) oh no okay that was added uh I'm pretty certain, because they did look at the last third of the book and think, we actually cannot adapt this. The censors will just turn up. (laughs) They'll be at my house. Maybe it was to give them backup in case the censors came after them. They'd be like, no, look, Nell likes Dr. Markway. There's no lesbianism here. Exactly. Distract them with one hand while the other hand is lesbian fucking. (laughs) You know what? I I, I will forgive it if only because I don't see that in this film at all except for when they actually say it (laughs) okay (laughs) i i can see it but i feel like this movie is really open to just letting you decide what you want to believe like it's more explicit with the supernatural stuff whereas the character relationships it's like well it's all just a little implicit what do you want to believe it's surprisingly explicit with the supernatural stuff coming to think of that yeah. Mm. There was a lot more explicit supernatural imagery than I remembered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I like it, even though I mean I, I'm not gonna quibble if people watch this movie and say, Well, I find it boring because nothing actually happens. I don't see anything. Like, yeah, that's fair, but I also feel like that's not a very generous read of a film that is not interested in showing you things. But it's a thing, you know, where it's like you have Martin Scorsese being like, that's one of the scariest movies ever made. And people right. are like, well, what's scary about this? And again, that's going all the way back to Val Luton and saying what you don't see, what is mm-hmm. unknown is what is scary. The problem is we just have that barrier of a screen that doesn't put us in their shoes. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I just I think the way that the camera is moving throughout this entire movie, even if you want to see ghosts or you want to see something scary, like I think the camera is keeping you entertained and it allows you to imagine like how big is it? Where is it? You know, there's that moment where it's banging on the door and Eleanor and Theo are super scared. And then Theo says it's up at the top. And then we see like an image of the glass atop the door and we don't see anything. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, okay, it's up at the top. That's where it is now. Scary. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of things that that film has convinced me that I've seen in it that weren't actually there is, yeah. is quite impressive. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and that, that to me is the strength of a good horror film. When you remember things and you rewatch and you're like, oh, I guess that's not there in this movie, but it made me think it was. It made me remember that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's incredibly effective. Okay, so Theo and Nell get into it again after, you know, 
Nell has her like yelling at Crane and uh, Theo calls her on her attraction to Dr. Markway. And this is where she rebuts and says, oh, well, I'd rather be stupid and innocent than like you. Like nature's you, mistake. I know what you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, like, that is explicit. That is so fucking explicit. I'm just I'm like, sorry. fucking hell now. <laughs> really have to go there, huh? so to diffuse the tension let's introduce a new character shall we uh money penny money Money penny Penny, indeed lois maxwell herself shows up as grace and it's kind of great because she really upends a lot of the relationships like nell gets really upset she suddenly feels like she still wants to be at the house but she doesn't feel like she belongs so i think this is the other way that you can say oh well she did have an attraction to markway because now that his wife has shown up she's really doubting herself mm-hmm. and uh, of course later on there is a double meaning even though i may be rushing to it a little quick of of now saying about the house when markway's wife does go missing mm-hmm. uh it should be me there not her right which yeah. has an obvious double meaning mm-hmm. i should be with him also i should be in this house <laughs> mostly the house (laughs) mostly the house yeah so grace is an interesting character because she's married to this guy who's so interested in the supernatural and it's clearly a huge fucking joke to her (laughs) either that or she's so mad that it's still part of their marriage that she can't stand it anymore yeah markway has casually not casually he has carefully organized for all of these people to be here and they will all take him seriously, and they will all be here. And then she mm-hmm. just turns up and says, Oh, your funny sheet ghost's here. Oh, your funny floating chandelier. <laughs> and I'm just like, Honey, <laughs> get out of my experiment. I'm here with my people. You're embarrassing me. <laughs> it's exactly that vibe, and it's wonderful. <laughs> well, especially because he's like, he really gives off paternal vibes, right? Like, he is in control throughout so much of this film. And then his wife shows up, and it's like, Oh, she wears the pants in this relationship. (laughs) She definitely does. So speaking of, because Nell is jealous and kind of cunty right now, she goes, oh, well, you definitely should not stay in the nursery, which is immediately what Grace wants to do to prove her wrong. Oh, no, don't sleep there. Yeah, definitely don't go into the nursery and die. (laughs) So they end up all relocating to the parlor, and it is a night to remember. So Grace is up in the nursery, and the supernatural events just go fucking haywire in the parlor. And Markaway wants to leave so that he can go and check on his wife, because he's really afraid for her, and Luke will not let him. So Eleanor just dances out the back. (laughs) (laughs) Eleanor just goes for a little frolic around the house. <laughs> this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's it's a woman loosed. Like, she is unhinged in this world. She's clearly, whatever repression she's had, whatever, like, constraint she's had on her body, she's like, fucking mm-hmm. dancing for you, Hugh! Mm-hmm. She almost seems possessed. Like, this yeah. is a mating ritual where she is giving herself over to the house, right? Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, and if we're going to like traditional hauntings, right? It's like, oh, you have to, you know, oh, you have to believe in it to let it happen. You have to give right. yourself into it. And so this is to it. Yes, this is the moment then where, where Nell finally lets the house into her. Mm-hmm. Although that's not exactly true in the case of Mrs. Markway, 
whose current uh, position is uh, nowhere. Well, right. but but, okay, but that's the thing, though. So, yeah, the house is using Grace as a ploy because you notice Nell gets jealous when mm-hmm. Grace disappears. She's like, yeah. it's not fair. She has my place in that house. And that, so the house is basically pulling a Theo and fucking with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, stop. It's my house. It's my house, man. <laughs> yeah, so... Like you, Trace, I I sometimes find the voiceover a little overbearing Mm -hmm. in its repetition. But when Nell says things like she's coming apart and she's disappearing into the house inch by inch, like that is beautiful. It is super evocative. And then when you match it with scenes, it almost looks like we're seeing her go down these hallways through like fisheye lens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just really good shit. Everything about this is so disorienting. I I, Honestly, it kind of views silly, but I even love it when she gets trapped in those drapes. I just Mm -hmm. think it's 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 all very disorienting. I gotta mention the mirror shot. Yeah, Mm. oh my god, the mirror shot is so Mm -hmm. fucking good. It is just phenomenal. (laughs) I'm taken aback by it whenever I see it. It's just, Mm -hmm. oh, it's just a normal shot of her running up the hallway, but it looks a little bit with oh. Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we see that in other horror films. Like it feels like we saw how effective it was here, and then a bunch of contemporary people have stolen that because it it's also really disorienting as a viewer because you think you're seeing a character go one way, and it turns out they're actually coming towards us. Yes, uh huh. I love all that. So Nell ends up in the library, and she notices that the cold and the smell are gone. So she starts climbing that motherfucking staircase. Because even though we talked about the nursery as the beating heart of this evil fucking house, we always knew it was going to end on this fucking staircase. Oh, 100%. Like, someone's got to... Well, I'm sorry. I was going to say someone's got to fall off the staircase, but no one does. (laughs) No one does. Although you firmly believe it's going to happen this entire sequence. My palms were sweating, waiting for somebody to go over. Well, watching Mark Way, like, ease his way up there and uh, honestly the audacity of this bitch when he reaches for her (laughs) she like bends backwards over the railing and you're like girl (laughs) you are not helping your scenario (laughs) well she's suicidal the worst part uh slash the best part is that this is set up Mm -hmm. this is set up earlier on Mm -hmm. because in the opening we already see the uh companion Mm -hmm. the house uh who has been paralleled with Nell all the way throughout. Right, this is where she hanged herself. This is where she hangs herself. You see that stairwell and you're just like, oh no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I couldn't remember how this movie ended, so I actually had a memory of Nell dying here. Uh, so the first time I saw this, because I didn't know how it was going to end, I actually hate, I hated Nell's death by tree so much. So it had such a firm, like, imprint in my brain of like, oh yeah, she drives into a tree. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Ugh. (laughs) So, uh, like before, on the veranda, Dr. Markway does end up saving Nell, but there is this fantastic, like, even if you don't think that this movie is particularly scary, the moment that Grace pops her yeah. fucking head out of this trapway from the attic, I may have yelped a little bit. I, I, it's, it, yeah, it's a jump it, scare, right? It's a jump scare. Yeah. It's for, well, I would say it's for one jump scare in the film, but very mirror bit. And also right. a bit where the camera swoops down. But that yeah. being said, holy fuck, it is one of my favorite jump scares in a film ever. <laughs> well, and she looks a mess. Like, she has been through it. <laughs> 
It it is uh, unnerving. Like she looks like she's gone through something to the point where you almost want a flashback when she describes later on. You know, because we see her and it it's gone so quickly. I wondered whether or not this was just something that Nell imagined. And then later on, when everything has happened and Grace explains, you know, yeah, I got disoriented. I got lost. Somehow I ended up in the attic. I didn't mean to do this. I just popped my head out. and It's actual backroom shit. And it's really, really weird. She's just, yeah. congratulations, mm-hmm. you get to go to the eternal Hill House dimension. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's just a wonderful experience of getting lost in, like, a friend's house and not knowing where the door is. And it's just like, oh, we're here forever now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she has been saved. Now has been saved. And even though they don't quite believe her about Grace, uh, they decide, okay, let's get her out of here. So we force her into the car. Luke is originally going to drive, but she insists that she can drive herself because it's her car. I do love the quote, though, where she's like, the house wants me. Mrs. Markway can't satisfy it. No one else can. Because I think I think the word mm-hmm. satisfy is such a unique choice of words. <laughs> well, there's a sexual connotation to it, right? Because oh, the house absolutely. is a giant vagina. <laughs> As we have talked about. It's yes. The house ussy. <laughs> oh, my God. House pussy. I'm sorry. I had to say it. <laughs> no, you know what? Good for you. <laughs> But now I'm imagining a Rococo Boosie, and I don't enjoy it. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a, you don't, see, it's a Rococo Ussie, a house Ussie. <laughs> Rococo Ussie. <laughs> a Rococo Ussie. <laughs> okay, so we force Nell into the car. Luke gets out because he realizes he needs the key to the gate, which only Dr. Markway has. And Nell's like, cool, bye, see you later. I'm going to go and kill myself. So she drives off. I do love these moments, though, where she's, you know, we're getting more voiceover and she's like, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to stay in this house forever. It's like it's chosen me. But then when the house starts to jerk the wheel, she panics and she's like, wait, no, stop. Don't do it this way. Well, I think it's so interesting. Like it's it's her bartering. Which future does she actually want to pursue? Well, because the only way that you can stay in this house is to die and be a ghost in it. And I don't I, right. I'm wondering if maybe she didn't realize that until this started happening. And she was like, oops, I I made my devil's bargain by accident, right. like without knowing the full story. <laughs> Which is really interesting because at this point in the book, this is where it gets a bit more accurate mm-hmm. again. But the way it's described in the book is a little bit different, and it's noticeably bleaker. Oh, uh, okay. Because there's a wonderful bit which did make me want to just lie down and have a little bit of a cry for a bit. <laughs> there's a recurring thing where Nell and Theo talk about wanting to have a picnic when this is all over. Hmm. And right at the end, we do have the line from Theo, uh, I thought you'd left and weren't going to say goodbye to me. But in the book... She says, we've got to meet up sometime again. If you're going to forget about this house, please don't forget about me. We've never Ooh. had our picnic, you see. Oh, that's so sweet. It's really sweet, which is horrifying because you realize that in the book, Nell kills herself. Right. There is very little ambiguity about that fact. She decides that she's going to be at Hill House forever and drives her car into the tree. And her last thoughts, as described in the book, are... Why am I doing this? Why do I want to do this? 
Oh, no. But I wonder if that was a censorship thing, though, because is there, was there a certain thing in the censors where it's like you can't have a, your lead character like die by suicide? I believe there was something about that. I believe I believe there was something probably iffy about the fact that we don't want to condone it. right? I mean, because it, it was 30 it was 30 years prior. But I, I think back to Rebecca, Joe, where it's like, right. oh, we have to oh, change yeah. Maxim killing, murdering Rebecca because you can't the censors like you can't have your main character be a willing murderer. Mm hmm. Hmm. So I don't know. It's extra interesting because of the idea that perhaps at this point, I mean, it's in both of them, but the idea in the book is that perhaps Nell no longer has her own thoughts and it's just right. Hill House speaking for her. Mm. And her last thoughts are just, do I want to do this or is this just the house telling me to do it because I'm right. hollow and it's just controlling me now? I actually like that more than the ending. I actually, cause I, mean, I again, adore it. Yo, you abhor it? No. No, I adore oh, it. Oh, I think it's incredible. <laughs> no, no. I'm not that well spoken. <laughs> abhor. <laughs> I think that's where the accent comes in. <laughs> I, I think abhor just sounds distinctly British. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it probably is. It probably is. No, but I agree, though. Because, yeah, I mean, again, I, my opinion on this movie has raised because I, I appreciate a lot of it more. But, th yeah, the ending always just leaves me a bit sour. And I, I actually, the way the book ending sounds like it'd be much more up my alley. So now I want to read it. It's wild because the suggestion that she drives herself into a tree is one line. Hmm. Right. It is one line, pretty much, and it's really, really freaky because it's so sudden and it's one of the last lines of the book, and it just casually mentions as one of the few things she does as she leaves, it just notes as just another thing she does is she drives herself into the tree and dies. And wow. it's just I was just thinking, oh, that's great. That's ruined my day. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so simple. She just drove herself into a tree. End. Yeah. Just, if it's not the exact last line of it, I mean, as with the film, that isn't exactly the end end. Although mm -hmm. it is interesting how it parallels with the opening with the first victim of the house also dying by a carriage crash into a tree. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like this, this movie does a lot of parallels. It does a lot of repetition. I want to highlight one other line before she does the crash, which is that something is finally really happening to me. And I think from yes. a queer reading of this film, that to me is the part that's so sad. Like, yeah. we we've had a lot of dead queer characters on screens over the years. And I don't think that this is an example of bridging or or barrier gaze or anything like she and theo i don't think we're going to end up together Nell really just mm -hmm. wanted to form a human connection with somebody who wasn't her fucking sister or mother theo maybe would have liked it but also she's cantankerous and it seems like they that maybe would have dated issues. for a week and then, yeah yeah like they would have dated for a week and then she would have said okay well i found something else i'm more interested in like this thing. hat <laughs> <laughs> but this idea that the biggest adventure of Nell's sheltered, closeted life is that she gets to choose how she dies is so sad to me. Yeah. It's, yeah. The first time I watched the film, I I wasn't out. I didn't know really who I was. And watching that afterwards, re-watching it, I was thinking, fucking hell, this film's sadder than I remembered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and yeah. even even the way everyone just stands around her body and is like, well, she's dead. 
<laughs> it's just kind of like, oh, like she's like a footnote in their lives. But I do think it's interesting that Luke says, you know, oh, no, I think she aimed for the tree. Like she Luke saw the suicidal bent in Nell, whereas Theo's first impression is that it's Grace's fault. Like Grace killed her twice by taking her spot in the house and then jumping in front of the car here. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, but Grace's words about how it's like the house made me get lost. Like she's now a Mm -hmm. full on believer in the supernatural. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and of course, Luke at this point is ready to get rid of this fucking thing. And as you said, Robin, like, burn it to the ground, salt the earth, move on. Indeed. We've all learned our lesson. The reaction in the book is just as upsettingly casual, because there's just a little paragraph right at the end before a repetition of uh, the house remains and the walls still Mm -hmm. stand upright, which is, everybody moved out, they just called off the experiment, they didn't think much about it again, they just returned to their lives, and it's just really dark. Yeah. See, but, but, but oh God, it's it's unfortunate that that's probably is accurate. It's it's accurate. It's factual. But like, I mean, not factual because it's fiction. But you know what I mean. But like, mm-hmm. just <laughs> it, to think that oh yeah, this is again, this is just a footnote in these people's lives. This is one or what three a weekend in people's lives, and that they're just going to be like, all right, well, that was fun. Yeah, she did. She she yep. did. Well, and I guess the only other thing is that Theo does make the observation that maybe she is happier. So, yes, I think Theo understands more so than any of the others that there could be a silver lining to this for Nell specifically. But you could read that that is almost a pro-suicide thing where it's like, well, you know, her life was so bad that the afterlife had to be better. That being said, the final note of the film is quite unsettling because we have the first kind of, for want of a better word, paragraph of lines Mm -hmm. said by Mark Way at the beginning. Is repeated at the end by Nell. Right. But she's dead. Yes. And it's her, from her perspective as a ghost. And the chilling line is, we who walk here walk alone. Which Mm -hmm. I think is a really interesting concept in terms of hauntings. Hmm. Yeah. It's just really quite freaky and upsetting. The idea of the fact that this is still a lonely existence at at Hill House. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you wanted to come here and feel something and be connected to something, but at the end, your journey is solitary. Well, and that's what the 2018 miniseries really hones in on, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and that is also difficult viewing. Yeah, it is. It is. But anyway. Well, all right. That is The Haunting. And Robin, as the guest of honor, what are your final thoughts on this film? Uh, my final thoughts, and it's a. I just bloody love this film. I'm honored that I got to talk on it. I I think it's an incredible, wonderful piece of cinema that's been very important to me and how I've developed as a person and just how I approach stories. Uh, But I I do have to say that, you know, I knew that there was no way that she could have died on the stairs because they Mm -hmm. couldn't have fitted a camera rig to the staircase to to make the chair falling down with the funny thing. Yeah. Uh, can we can we double in the regular staircase for the spiral? No, okay. Car <laughs> no, crash it is. Got it. it. Uh, yeah. Um. No. I, I I really like this movie. I don't love this movie. Again, for me, it's more. I I admire its technical prowess more than I admire like the narrative of the film itself. But yay for queerness. Yay for Theo. Um. I wish it just grasped me a little bit more story wise. Uh, yay for Mrs. Dudley. Oh yeah, Mrs. Dudley is great. <laughs> Dudley, Give us the Mrs. Dudley spinoff where she's just like entertaining idiots who die in this house every week. 
yeah. for Haunting 1992. It's about time. We've got Mrs. Oh Dudley my God. <laughs> Robin. I love it. <laughs> Fucking hell is in the middle of nowhere with that book and with the chair of doorknob. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think at the end of the day, Trace, I feel sort of similar to you. I really liked this film. I enjoyed rewatching it, but mm-hmm. I do find Nell to be an occasionally frustrating protagonist. Her story is just so sad, but also I'm like, girl, this cannot be the best life that you have chosen for yourself. Like, aim higher. And bear in mind, it's by design that she is oh, frustrating, sure. and I get yes. that. It's just, yeah, it's just not something I particularly enjoy watching. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. I mean, I don't enjoy watching it, but I, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Well, before we announce that we're covering next week, uh, Robin, thank you for coming to join us for this. And let everyone know, where can they find you on social media? Thank you. Uh, Again, thank you so much. This is probably the biggest thing I've done in a while. (laughs) Uh, But it's it's incredible. It's lovely. Thank you so much for getting me on this queer-centric horror podcast. Mm -hmm. It's just really, really wonderful. Yay! It's been an honor. You can find me at Real Robin Adams on Twitter if Twitter still exists. You never know by each time. Oh <laughs> uh, I'm also at Real Robin Adams on Instagram. Those are mostly where I post. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to find me somewhere else, you can probably find me via there. Okay. All right. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers. Shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Go to our YouTube channel to check out our interviews with various horror filmmakers, as well as our monthly hangouts where we talk about hot-button issues with some of our peers. And if you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. Today is the 1st of March, so we are in a new month. Um, we've got episodes on The Outwaters, HBO's adaptation of The Last of Us, the dinosaur movie 65, and oh of God. course, <laughs> Scream 6. <laughs> yeah, naturally. And our audio commentary of the month will be on a sequel that I really didn't like on a first viewing, but now kind of love, The Strangers Pray at Night. I was like, wait, what What was that weird, like, which I hate? And I was like, wait, we're doing an audio commentary for a movie you hate? No. Oh, okay, no. got, it, got it. It, it, it. It was a two and a half out of five when I walked out of the theater, and now it is a four out of five. Ooh, okay. Yes. Uh, but Joe, mm-hmm. what are we covering next week? Uh, well, Trace, there's a little film, as you said, that we're going to cover on Patreon called Scream 6 coming out. So we thought it might be an appropriate time to open the Patreon vaults and release our episode on Scrofime. No, <laughs> Scream 5. Five cream. No, Five just cream. Scream from 2022. The, the, the Scream from 14 months ago. There we go. <laughs> yes. And that was a supersized Patreon episode for us. So, y'all, it is a full, like, I want to say it's two hours, actually. So It's two and a half, yeah. Two and, and a half hours. And we've added in some extra stuff because I realized when we were re-listening to it that I forgot to make a point I needed to make. So, yeah, there's even newer stuff in there for people who listen to it on Patreon already. Well, shit, now I've got to listen to it because I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you, don't worry. We'll cover it off here. <laughs> <laughs> Until next week, everyone, we can cross out the haunting. Indeed, and cross out horror queers. (laughs) 